man. All right, we're live. Uh, yes, episode 49 of Life, the Life Unraveled series. I do a couple of different series, but yes. Nice, nice. Have yes. you thought about doing any boxing watch-alongs? Yeah, okay, so I've do, we've done something similar to that. Uh-huh. I've only done one episode. I need collaborators, by the way, so All this right. is an idea you have. I was about to say. Because, I mean, this is cool to appropriate time. We listen mm-hmm. to albums on one of the, one of the series. Oh, that's cool. Uh, but I do like a, I either do MMA or jujitsu unraveled right. like a spin and that we'll watch fights or like we did watch like uh, all the Lomachenko fights. On oh, that, right? nice. Okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's, that would be. Did you, did you see his first, well, I'm, I'm blanking. When did he go for his first title? Second fight. Yes. He, and I'm blanking on the guy's name. It's oh man. Total. I, like I watched it a couple of times, like 40 blow blows. Oh yeah. 50 he low just blows. gets demolished, but it's all below the belt. It's just uh, a, it's one of the most brutal fights to watch. Well, and that guy's strategy to turn yeah. away from, cause the ref like was blind on most. Of oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it oh was yeah. The only person I've ever seen that did that as well as Bernardo Hopkins. Yeah, Bernardo Hopkins yeah. was the dirtiest fighter, but he was yeah. so, but, but it was like so strategic. Yeah. Like you almost enjoyed it where you're like, okay, here comes the head, but oh, yeah, oh, ref man. missed it. You know, it's just always dirty fighter. But. I, I wonder how many camps like integrate that into the training. I don't know. I saw a book. I'm, I'm forgot what it was called. It was something like, I want to say like black hat boxing or something. I forget anyway, but it was, a, it was all about how to integrate that into boxing training. And it was a guy who wrote it said, basically he had a fighter that just got beat up and it was all cheating. And, uh, and he said that the, uh, at the end of the thing, like, why didn't you teach me how to do something against this? And so it's like all the books are just all, it's a how to cheat. And it's like, but it's one of those in a way, when you think about it, you almost have to do that. You have yeah. to teach it to be able to guard against it. Right. And so it was like, I don't, and it was one of those light bulb moments where I'm like, why isn't that integrated enough? Because you do see fighters yeah. get out there, get lost and Loma Chico seemed really lost yeah, out he, there. Yeah. He, he did well against it. And I, I don't, yeah. was that, was it was close on the cards or oh, was yeah, it? It was yeah. really close. That's what I thought. Um, and it was, should have been an easy fight for him. It, it really should have. Yeah. And, and it was just, that ugly. guy was the jerk. He had the experience, right? Oh, yeah. He was old, the older fighter. Oh, yeah. He was like 30 something years yeah, old. He's, I yeah. And he had like, I mean, he has a, a million wins, a million losses. And so it's like, you know, you could almost overlook him, but he's been out there just grinding for decades. And he just saw this as like, eh, all right, I'll take this. I'll take the money and, yeah. you know, and just anything to win. So Lomachenko is amazing. He's he really something is. else. I've, I, I've never seen anything like it, honestly. It, with what he does mm-hmm. and him be and him being a southpaw, but just like the way he cuts angles and stuff yeah. is yeah. truly. To amazing. me, it's one of those. He's one of those. I love to see boxers that you watch the feet more than the hands. Mm-hmm. And with him, it's all footwork, and it's just it's really and it's so. I mean, he's just so skilled at it, but it's also it's just masterful how little movement can cause these big effects. And you're just watching going, oh, my gosh, this guy is it's he's on another level, totally different level. Yeah. With his understanding. And people always are like, well, he's a dancer. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but it's also something else, too. Right. I mean, maybe that has like a lot to do with. Yeah. And then he then just like integration of like Imagine if they're like, we got to do dancing, how much of a, uh, oh, how yeah. much of a methodology they probably put into full oh, ab- training. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and that was one of those where, um, several years ago, I'm trying to think how many years ago it was, um, is before, uh, Floyd fought, um, 
uh, Pacquiao. So, I mean, this is yeah. moons ago. Um, I, I had the opportunity to go to Mayweather's gym and got to hang yeah. out with Roger and Floyd Sr., and they were they were super cool because they would they would take questions from you and it was like and I'm a nobody and it was it, it, first off when you go in there every person working in that gym was a uh, former uh, world champion of some kind and it was like they had I mean even the people just carrying the spit bucket had been champions and so it's like if you're in that gym you're surrounded by greatness and so it was one of those where you're kind of like awestruck where you're like this is something i have never even imagined and it doesn't get talked about because it's just this gym in the middle of a strip mall it's like next to like a chinese food <laughs> restaurant and so it's like this no-name location in in vegas you wouldn't think anything about it and you walk in and you're like Oh, this have is you been unbelievable. to Freddie Roach's gym too? No, I want I want to go there really bad. I've driven by it because I've been. Uh, I used to train when I would go for like worlds and uh -huh. stuff with jujitsu. There was a guy down there, like right in the middle of Hollywood. Yeah, and um, it, it's it's one of those. It's just wild, wild location. You know, from and I've 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 seen it where it is on a map and kind of driven in that area before when I was in L.A. Yeah, I've never had the chance to go in. But when I was talking to Roger and uh, Floyd Zener, they talked they talked more about footwork and balance than hands. They never really talked about it. And when you watch Floyd, I mean, that was one of the things everyone hated watching him because it was like, oh, he's boring. And it was like, yeah, because you can't get a glove on him. And he'll, he'll stand right in front of you and you're not going to hit him. Yeah. And, all. and it was just always balanced. Exactly. And, all. and if you watch... You know, with him, the biggest thing is that that you know pull counter, where you know he leans in over that leg and it just tr it just tricks everybody. It's an it's I, uh, somebody's compared it this way. It's almost like an illusion. Oh yeah, they, you think they are closer than they are exactly, and, and you can almost see it in his eye. Like he almost like I tricked you. You know, you can almost see that look in him, and you see a lot of that with Lomachenko, where it's just like. He's real tricky. I love when he just pats his adversaries. I know. I'm stuff. like, oh, man. It's almost over. Yeah. Oh, man. He he does some wild <laughs> stuff by pulling the glove down. Oh, yeah. I mean, he has some signature. And I've seen him, this clips of him showing techniques mm -hmm. of how he, because um, he primarily fights mostly yeah. orthodox fighters. So it's kind of like, you know, his he'll do a lot of things to manipulate their front hand. Oh, yeah. Which is close well, to his front hand. You know, and Roy Jones would do that sometimes where he'd pull down on your gloves. So you'd bring your gloves back up and then you'd get a body shot. Yeah. In, and it was just like, oh, man, that is just. We've been body sparring. Have you really? Bit. Yeah, I saw I saw a gym doing that. Maybe it was straight right. And I was like. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's because cool. like think of like their sort of idea was that the shorter armed fighter always takes headshots getting on the inside while they're learning. So it's like a curve. Yeah. And and also when you take out like, okay, you know, you can't throw a jab across really right. from that range. It gets people like, oh, I'm just going to step in and go shoulder to shoulder with it. I'm going to do things that I would not normally get to work on. Right. And to develop also one twos to the body and mm -hmm. simple stuff that you that is practical from range, right? But it's it's interesting. We've done it a few times, and I think it's developmental. I, I like it. No, that's really cool. I never really thought about it. What do you um, What do you think about sparring? Um, I I heard an interview years ago, and it just is one of those that's just always been in my mind about is it necessary. To a degree, because like Sergio Martinez, you know, middleweight champion uh, and all, he he 
was just masterful. And if you can go back and watch any of his fights, that guy is just on a, he's one of those other ones that's just on a different level, but he got, he got to that level so late. He was in his late thirties and he had played soccer. And I think he, I think bicycle, I think he was into cycling and all, and his legs were just shot. And so he loses his last fights because his knee gave out. He couldn't move, but whenever he was like healthy, Oh my gosh. And he never did much sparring. It was all shadow boxing, all taping off the ring and working on movement stuff. And I think he only did like two or three sparring right before a fight. And yes. Yeah. To what degree is it necessary? Mm -hmm. I think, I think that we can be smart. Like what I was saying with the body. Yeah. Stuff uh like that. It's, 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 we spar less than ever. I'll really? say that I've, I've become paranoid about it over the last five years increasingly. Uh-huh. Um, and there's plenty of days where we do not spar in kickboxing. We do not spar mm. in boxing. And then it's just, I, I'm, I'm torn on, I, I feel like if you're going to fight, if you're going to compete, yeah. a certain degree is needed. But I don't really have like, you know, data on that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, you? absolutely. No, not at all. And that's one of those, like I said, it's always been in the back of my mind. Like, do you need it? It, it seems intuitive that we do. And, uh, and it yeah. seems like that's just kind of the classic thing. But then, then you see like the effects of some folks that go this completely different way. And you're like, wait a second. I, how did he get there? I think, and, and it's weird. It's a strange thing. It's like I put it this way, like almost I only roll with people I trust. Yeah. Sometimes I roll with white belts I don't trust, but I just crush their soul if they're being stupid. <laughs> okay. But so like in jujitsu, I still roll. Um, yeah. And I've been rolling more lately just just to get like exercise, man. Yeah. Like just to try and stay healthy. Mm-hmm. But um, that's kind of like the thing. I think that a lot of times like there's a, there's a certain like liability with sparring. Right. Mm-hmm. Where it's yeah. like, I tell people, I'm like, you're going to spar with Tim. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I was like, he's the only person in here you can trust. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, yeah, just don't be stupid. And yeah. if and if you realize that you're being stupid, stop being stupid. And <laughs> Because he will just do what you're doing. Right. Or he will really let you work if you're polite. And, mm-hmm. and I, think, I think that if it... Sparring can never be a contest. Right. And if it's a contest, if there's this, I mean, and maybe you can speak to some of the human psychology behind this, but that's, I see it become that like all the time, like it's not even like the person got a hard shot on the other person. This happened somewhat recently, even we had a big sparring class and somebody clipped somebody and you know, that other somebody, it's like, you know, who are you to clip me? I'm going to put you down. And it immediately turned into that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I give speeches about that. Right. Like, Hey, let's not, if that's going to have, let's make that be in the ring. Yeah when the fight is happening like that's the like that situation in my mind like that's a fight that was like fight level and we're never trying to train like that and i try and talk about it all the time and it's like some people argue spar more to overcome that hump and i'm right what do you do i mean what what like and what do you do what do you think about that yeah natural sort of exchange like that here's one of the things that I, i looked at so 
you mean to go back to kind of how I got into studying boxing? You want me to give you the... You yes, have, you I have, have notes. We jumped, uh, we I have very in. vague notes about well, some stuff in your research. No, and, that's okay. Yes. And so, so basically... I, I grew up always a, a boxing fan and all. When I was a kid, probably around third grade, um, there was a, one of the free HBO weekends, and um, they had a fight where it was Marvelous, Mar- Marvelous Marvin Hagler, you know, yeah. and he comes out to the ring. And it was one of those where I was like, I didn't really know what I was watching. You know, I was, I was a little kid and all. I, I thought it was going to be like wrestling, probably, yeah. you know, and, and so it's kind of like, okay, cool, there's a ring. All right, whatever. And he comes out of the ring. And that guy was just a machine, you know, and if you if you were to say, OK, you know, draw a, a, a fighter, draw a boxer, it'd be my Marvin Hagler to this day for me. He is the quintessential. He looked like a fighter. He talked like a fighter and he was just absolutely fabulous in the ring. And so I watched it and there was like this pageantry um, this, you know, this emotion that gets wrapped up into sports that you don't find anywhere else. It's like if you watch football, it's a bunch of people arguing over a ball or baseball or whatever. It can be fun, but it doesn't have that emotional thing that 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 a fight has. And in boxing, UFC, whatever it is, those are like it's a it's beyond sport. It's it's a strange thing, and it just drew me in. So. I, um, I never had the money to get all the pay-per-views and all, but I, I watched anything I could. And um, whenever I got uh, uh, out on my own, that was one of the first things. I was like, okay, gotta have, gotta have HBO, gotta have Showtime, gotta get all the pay-per-views, and that, that's what I spent my money on. And uh, luckily, I, I found a wife that also liked uh, liked boxing, and we went into um, uh, just kind of we started go into fights, start doing anything we could. And one of the things, there was a training for um, boxing judge training um, that they were hosting around Memphis once. And I was like, let's go. And so we signed up and went through it. And it was through the Association of Boxing Commission. And uh, Dwayne Ford, uh, who's, you know, officiated, yeah, I think it was like over 200 and something uh, uh, title fights, was the one leading it. And he was just wonderful to work with. But it was super hard where they would do it where like, they would have like the hardest fight you could ever score. And they would like break it up into like, all right, here's a one minute of the round. And then you'd have to like score it, but then you had to justify your scoring and oh, stuff good. like that. And it that's was great training. It was amazing. So uh, with that training, I will say, um, do you remember the Pacquiao, uh, Tim Bradley, their first fight that was, everyone was like, how did the judges score it or whatever? So I watched it. Um, I, one of my kids was little. And so I watched it with the muted. And I was, and so I'm watching this fight, and I'm sitting there, and I and I always have a notepad that I try to score the fight as I go along, and I'll, sometimes I just want to enjoy, it and I won't. But for that one, I was scoring, and I had Tim Bradley winning it, and it's like, and I'm seeing on the screen, you know, the after each one, whoever the commentators scorecard, I'm like, what fight are they watching? And so at the end, it, it, you know, Tim Bradley wins, huge, you know, huge scandal. I had the exact same scorecard as Dwayne Ford on that one. And Dwayne Ford's gone out and been like, you know, Tim Bradley schooled Pacquiao on that. I don't know what fight you're watching. And so it's like, 
whether it's right or wrong, the way he trained and all, I totally believe in it. And it's one of those where I, I see the fight the way he's seeing it. It's He was a really, really good teacher. Do you think those other judges were untrained or do you think? No, I, uh, I, I, they saw it pretty much how he did. And so it was like, you okay, know, yeah. Tim Bradley won it. And it okay, was one of those. Yeah. And I've watched it back. And um, there's I think I gave him one round. It was kind of a toss up. But everything else, it was like right on it where I was like, I could see maybe an argument over this one. Um, but Do it you was think commentary bias swayed. Totally. Oh. Totally. Have you done any research about that? Not yet. And, That's and fascinating. So when it, we've gone through all this stuff, one night me and my wife were sitting down watching Friday Night Fights, you know, and it's one of these where um, uh, Teddy Atlas, Joe Tessitore on ESPN, that I don't even know if they uh, commentate much anymore. I think Teddy Atlas is on the ESPN card still. And he, um, they're arguing. They have this young fighter and an old fighter. And so they're and they're going, oh, this old fighter, you know, he doesn't have what it takes. He needs, should have retired and his he doesn't have any uh, stamina anymore. And then the other person is like, no, the old fighter, he's grizzled and he knows what it, he has the skills to turn this and all the and they're going back and forth over this guy's age. My wife turns to me and goes, huh. What does what what the research say? Now, in my background, my you know, I, I have a doctorate in, in, in experimental psychology, but all my stuff was on in uh, pharmacology. And so I'm I'm far away from sports psych. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know. So I grab my laptop and go to psych info and look up. And I'm like, you know, boxing, blah, blah. Everything was brain damage. I couldn't find anything. I found one article that was from way, way back, like in the 1920s, I want to mm. say. And it was like, and it was this, it was a uh, thing that was making a race argument. Like, uh, you know, African-American fighters have this, whatever. And you the look at your like, muscle in their calf exactly or something, something like that. Something oh completely God. racist, old. And I'm going, oh God, okay, that's weird. And then there was one about left-handed fighters. And that was it. And I'm like... Okay, well, well, maybe they don't have something about sport. Baseball, tons of articles. Home field advantage, this didn't race. And how um, one of the coolest uh, studies that popped out on that was if you um, opposite race um, umpires sh- uh, will um, expand the strike zone. So if so, if I'm if I'm the uh, black umpire and you're the batter and you're white and all, I'm going to make it where it's more likely that uh, there'll, there'll be a strike. And on vice versa, if I was white and you were black, yeah, you know, yeah. and, all, and the the strike zone expands and shrinks based on race and all, and it was like, oh, that's cool. And so you're seeing all this really cool psychological experiments that are being done on that. Okay, what about football? Tons of stuff on football. Tons bet, of yeah. stuff on rugby. To, uh, gymnastics, any sport. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I'm in the wrong database. You know, go PubMed, go to this, go to that. There's nothing. And so then I was stuck with this idea where I'm going, okay, I'm really interested in this. Is it, it, have people tried to publish it and there's just no interest from publishers? Is there a stigma with boxing? Is there, what's going on here? And so I um, I, g- I gather a bunch of stuff and I just do a real fast um, uh uh, logistic regression. So, what are what are some of the um, characteristics of a fighter winning? You know, what's predictive of a win? So we looked at age. We looked at uh, a variety of different location uh, measures, previous wins and all, uh, previous losses, all this stuff. 
and it took us you know it took us a few a uh, few weeks to kind of gather all the data and we did this study found out um it was like the stuff that was predictive was of course n- number of wins uh, had a uh uh, positive correlation there and um, age had a negative correlation so it was the the older you get the worse performance you're, you are going to have and so we found a few things like that and sent it into a journal oh they were eager to accept it and what's funny about it is you know, I put, I put blood, sweat, and tears into the pharmacology work for years, and it gets cited really well, but this just, like, blew up. As soon as it came out, I started getting emails. I started getting all wow. kinds of stuff, and I'm like, where did this come from? And even uh, even at Tech, they did a an alumni, um, you know, they do their magazine and all. And was that this one? Yep, with the with the fight with the glove. I used to deliver mail. Did you really a, a, to that? like Doctor Watson's office? <laughs> and forever there was that magazine for like it's, a couple of years. Oh, they kept just, it out there. Me with the boxing glove, which I great. said at the beginning, I was like, I don't want to do one with a boxing glove. They're like, Yeah, you need to. But it was one of those where that like immediately it drew people in. I had alumni coming in, but the weirdest ones i started getting media requests so um been on a variety of different radio programs and different stuff and people immediately saw it as you know hey can you predict this fight what's what's gonna happen and one of the funniest ones i got um with uh it was vladimir klitschko and oh um was it david hay where he hurt his toe Mm, I can't. I'm not sure. I, I'm blanking. I think it was. I think it was David Hay. And anyway, it was. It was going to be this huge uh, fight. I got. I got it called up on. Um, it was like a German public radio thing, which is hilarious. I was like, oh, okay, I'll give you an uh, interview because you know Germany just they love them some Klitschko yeah. and um, so I, I get I do my interview and they asked me to predict who would win and I kind of give you know based off. You know, if the stuff, it looked like, um, you know, it looked like with a lot of the numbers, it looked like David Hay had a really good chance. But as a fan kind of watching this, I'd have to I'd have to go with Klitschko and all this is just, you know, when you start looking at other things that haven't been measured, reach advantage, blah, 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 blah. I just it's hard for me to go with the data on this. And so I went with that. I started getting tons of emails immediately and i'm like these are people all looking to gamble you know oh and, wow and so I, was, I, was, I thought that when you said oh yeah absolutely yeah. and so i get this and so i get this and i'm like okay i work for a state institution i have no idea who's doing this and my 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 feeling is if you work for a public institution of education anywhere you 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 owe taxpayers you owe your students you're you're working on their dime and so i'm like i don't want to give i, I don't want to just ignore it but at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to get, give people gambling advice. This isn't my thing. So I write out this, this script. I'm like, I'm getting about, I had probably about 150 emails after wow. that. And I'm like, okay, I, I've got to write something. So instead, I just said, hey, you know, as I said this, I'm a fan. Here's whatever. And so I, I write out my, you know, here's what I, I would think just as a fan, what would happen rounds one through da, 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 da. And so I give all the stuff forget about it that weekend we were going to the beach with my uh, uh, you know family and so we go we go on the beach i don't think anything about it several uh you know several days later i'm like hey i'm gonna get on youtube and find the the fight and my wife said i'm watching it there on the beach and, all, and she said the colors just draining out of my face she's like what's going on i'm like 
It's happening exactly how I predicted. For the next week, had uh, some fight, or a couple weeks later, they had a, another fight that was big. I got over 450 oh, emails. And I said that I was like, I owe people a lot, but I am not going to become this guest, you know, guess who wins thing. I'm not going to be, you, you know. You started your own kind <laughs> exactly. of I was like, nope, nope, nope. I'm, oh, I'm not wow. answering those questions anymore. Because it really was, um, you know, it is at the end of the day, a, a lot of fights, a big fights, are, there, there is a, a toss up factor. Um, but it is one of those where all that I was able to really predict was about maybe 12 percent of the variance, which helps if you if you had a 12 percent, you know, advantage going and playing cards. You can make a lot of money. Yeah, I was just uh, just thinking it's just kind of like, it's, ca- but not but same, counting cards. It's pretty close. It, it gets pretty close. And that's with very minimal factors. So going into looking at all this, uh, some of this stuff, one of the things I haven't published, um, and you know, but I've, I've done just a little bit of basic data. I took pre-fight, and then I saw a study, and it was using UFC fighters. And I thought this was pretty cool, where they, they took um, pictures of weigh-in photos when they get the fighters face to face and they looked at you know what are some of the characteristics of winning and losing and they saw I think it was the smiling fighter had a chance at a greater chance of losing I've, I've, I'd have to go back and look yeah, at yeah. the thing but anyway it was one of those where they were seeing this and I was like one of the best psychological measures we have is the words we use when I'm talking to you and I'll right here it should be a pretty even power differential, right? I mean, and so the way that I talk should be pretty diff. It would be a lot different than if my boss walked in the room. You know, if my dean comes and sits down at the table, all of a sudden my language is probably going to change just based on that. And and you're going to have a variety of other things. If I was depressed, I'd have different language usage and different things like that. There's a guy out of uh, University of Texas Austin uh, named James Pennybaker, and he wrote a book called um, uh, the the Private Life of Pronouns or the Personal Life of Pronouns. Mm-hmm. He um, in a really really interesting stuff well he has a computer um, a software package that you can feed in text and it splits it up at, um, according to different things like what pronouns people use what percentage of you know different first person versus third person this or that how much you know I've heard just a little about it's this. a really cool uh, way to do that and so it breaks it up used to and people still do, you know, qualitative data where they go through and count various things. It kind of takes that qualitative data and does it automatically for you. It's not perfect, but it's it's a pretty good measure. Well, I did that with I took uh, a lot of fighters um, pre-fight interviews and um, I started feeding it through this. And one of the things I found was um, uh, that I thought was really interesting. If you used first person language you were more likely to lose. So if I went into a fight and I was, you know, after, you know, before a fight and I was like, I'm going in and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to win this and me, 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 I, 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 and all it is bad. What I found was people that used, is it third person? I'm, I'm blanking. My, my, we, uh, my our team. Yeah. We, like us, whatever. Those were the ones that were more likely to win. And so when it go, kind of go, I know this is a long detour to answer your question about with the sparring, but that's the big thing. Like if you go in and you're having fights with people in your gym, that's, that's, a, that is not going to help you psychologically yes. because at the end of the day, you know, going into a ring, that's, you know, 
it's a pretty terrifying thing. And even, you know, skilled fighters, um, you know, we'll talk about throwing up before a fight and things like that. Yeah, I know people, even in jiu-jitsu, that oh, they yeah. throw up before every match and then they usually go win. And that's exactly. And so that's one of those, if you can change it to where it is a team-based mentality, it can help a lot. And look at someone like Floyd. Floyd's always, you know, it's one of those where um, he's always like, oh, we put in so many miles. Well, who's out there running? You know, it's it's him with a bunch of people driving around him. Probably, you know, it's like he's out there running, but it's we, you know, my team, my dad, we, we, we. You know, he always is that, you know, and even like someone like super egotistical, Roy Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, he talked a lot about we and ours, and he even talked about himself for you know Roy Jones thinks you know those kinds of weird things. I think that is a good psychological buffer. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. And I think it is one of those. I think it's a defense mechanism. And I, I think it's a good, good thing to have. And so I, that would be one of my worries if you were doing sparring and people were getting into fights or it was this competitiveness was emerging. It's like, no, we need to have a team. You're coming out of this as a, you know, as a group. And that's, yeah, that, that was one of those that really, it caught me off guard. Yeah. And all, but oh, also the other one was people that talked about their health um, was in uh, all that was a big indicator of a loser. And so it's like, oh, wow. I'm, I'm feeling, feeling good. I'm, I'm feeling healthy. And it's like, or, you know, hey, I feel strong this time. It's like, why are you thinking about your, you know, why are you thinking about that kind of stuff? Um, it's like, that's not a that's not a good thing. Because then, you know, you know, it's it's real easy to not feel strong. I, I think that there's that you're you're in your own head a little bit too much about your body. Wow. That's anyway. That's, you know, it's one of those where, like I said, I, I didn't finish it. It was one of those projects that's kind of been on the shelf for a while. But it's it is one of those that just really I thought it was really amazing that there was some predictive value to the word. Someone would say in a scripted thing like a pre-fight interview. You know, and it's like, this is just the stuff I'm and the in the database that the database, quote unquote, I used was fightnews.com. You know, it's just an aggregate. They just take anything that's put out with, you know, a a fight team or a pre fight this or that. It's Mm -hmm. not a you know, it's not like it's something that is, you know, just uh, willy nilly uh, interviews. This is like super scripted PR teams are putting out and you can find the predictive value from that. Wow. Yeah. What uh, What were some other things you measured or maybe that you think is like unmeasured in terms of things people take into consideration? The, the one that the only other thing that I found that was really weird and, and, and I had a couple of articles that I kind of talked about was um, it's really hard to measure home field advantage, mm. you know. And so for like a football team, they have a stadium. They have their fan base. They're going to be there. I don't even know how many games, six, seven games a year. Do you yeah. watch football? Uh, well, I mean, I played Just, football in high school. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, it's like, help me here. Save me here. Yeah, I don't like, know. They, with maybe like 10, 10 yeah. to 15 games, depending on like high school to NFL. Exactly. Maybe even NFL games. Maybe like, do they have like preseason, maybe up to like 20 games? I don't know. <laughs> the I'm, fight I, fans. I know. Here, go ahead. Yeah. These like, guys are making gone, it up. We've gone into, we've gone into uncharted territory <laughs> here. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, oh. they only have a certain number of, of games that they're going, but that's, that's their home team. They have all the stuff, you know, college teams. They have the band there. They have all. And we know that that plays a a really big role. And so we know if you are um, a home team, 
you're more likely to win until it gets to um, championship games. And then there's a whole lot of, of, of conflicting research out there. And some of it suggests that if you're at home in a high stakes uh, game, there might be a slight uh, chance you know, that you're more likely to lose. But like I said, it, it that one is all over the yeah, board. Or if you're like neutral territory, like, exactly. you know, like uh, Ali fighting. Yeah. Around the world, Philippines. And that's where, and that's kind of the thing with boxing. It's like, who's, where's your home field? So like take Floyd again, grew up Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I only know of one fight he had as a champion in Grand Rapids. And it was like, and that's it. But he's living in Vegas. So everyone called him the home field advantage for Vegas until he fought De La Hoya, who's from California. And then they argued that, oh, and if we're in Las Vegas, he'll win because he's the home field advantage. And you're going, neither of you are from Las Vegas. Why yeah, would this? that is. And so or it was because you're driving distance. Exactly. Wow. And so I was like, I kind of, I was like, where, what would this be? And so what I did was I just looked at nationality. And so it's one of those where I was like, that's about the best I can get. And I looked at championship fights and um, every year they put out this book. Um, it's the um, Boxing Almanac and it has it lists every championship fight for the whole year. And it's and it's, you know, because there's so many different championships, there's a, there's a you know, several hundred of these wow. fights. And so and it does it for WBC, WBA uh wbo ibf and ibo so five different titles across every weight division and so i just drew, drew that in where it's like let's look at the uh, you know if it's an american fighter and you've got an american judge does that give you an advantage or not and Ooh, so we yeah. looked at those those things if you are an, and, and also where was it being or was it taking place if you are an american fighter in america in and you have an American and American, more American judges on there, you are actually more likely to lose. But that, that we are the only country that I could find that that was good for. If you looked at other countries and all, there was a home field advantage for them. So if you're in Great Britain or Spain or something like that, and you had more of their uh, those home judges, you're more likely to win. We're the only country that we actually have this reverse bias and all, but that was one of the things whenever I went, uh, went through judging training, it made sense to me. I looked at it and I went, well, of course, this is one of the things Dwayne Ford brought up. They had an explicit thing where they talk about, you know, there is a lot of talk about corruption in boxing. You know, if you bring up boxing, oh, the judges are corrupt. Oh, the refs corrupt. That's the first thing. Follow the money. Yeah, follow. Yeah, exactly. It's like the, the mob is involved. And, you know, you, you look back at this dirty history and that's what everyone immediately brings up. So it's almost as if, you know, you're telling someone, you know, don't look corrupt. Oh, if there's a swing around. I'll go with the other guy. I don't want to look corrupt. I don't want to look like I'm the home oh, hometown wow. thing. And so are we causing that, which is kind of, you know, and they've shown that with some things like, you know, if you um, talk about, um, you know, like racism, you're more likely to kind of act over the top and, in, in, you know, right after a training to try to show like, oh, I'm not I'm not racist. I'm not this. I'm not, you know, sexist, whatever. And uh, it's it's one of those where people will show that exaggerated bias to the opposite. And is that what we're doing with our with our officiating? It really yeah, makes sense yeah. where I went. Oh, yeah. but I don't know. With most other countries, there isn't the level of training that you see with um, uh, 
with American uh, judging. And so it kind of was like, oh, that makes sense. What do you think about referees? Um, they have to go through a similar thing. One of the things that and I've, I've not done anything other than a tally. I've never done any you know, formal statistics. I haven't looked at it. But one of the things I would love to look at is race with um uh with refs that as soon as he said that that's what popped into my head because you know looking at the the one if you watch and on this was just looking at just like i said tally marks i had a it was a a white ref they had a white fighter and a black fighter and i i marked how many times do they touch the fighters and what what I saw with that one, and, and then it also I had it where it was a black ref and an opposite, you know. And with this, there were so many that were like, okay, it's a black ref and two black fighters or two white fighters and a white, you know. And you're like, okay, I don't, I can't really do much here. But you had to look for that split race. And what I found with that was um, they uh, they touched the opposite race more. So when you separate from a clinch, they were more likely just to push one. And it was of the opposite race. They were more likely to take make them uh, go back. Um, they were more likely to follow them to their corner at the end of a round. Things like that, where you were seeing this kind of. And like I said, I don't know if this was on a grand scale. This was over two weekends. Just saying, I wonder, should I, I even look at this? Now I'm going to watch it. They will. They will touch them more, and they will warn them more in the corner. And now part of that watching TV, you, you might miss them. Maybe they're warning the other corner and that kind of thing. And that was where I always was kind of held up with it where I'm like, okay, it's hard to, it's hard to find a good measure of this. It's also hard to what's race. How am I supposed to do this? You know, you know, there's some people that walk in like, um, Canelo Alvarez, you know, he's, you know, he's Mexican. You know, he's Latino. But if you see him, he's like a redheaded white guy. He looks like a ginger. Yeah. yeah he looks yeah. like a ginger. Yeah. And you're like, uh, okay, I wouldn't know. I'd mark him down as, as white. Well, is is he or is when he When I Latino? saw him, I was like, I why is his name Canozzi Italian? Yeah, is that exactly. an Italian name? That's exactly. I have no idea. And so it's like, that was the other part where you don't look at it. They don't be like, you know, hey, and in this corner, Joe Smith, white. You know, they don't say, well, that's not in there. So it was like, okay, I'm going to have to go to box rec. They don't really have race down. I'm going to have to kind of see where they're at. And so that was the other thing that was hanging up where I'm like, I don't really even know really how to measure this. And this is kind of, it's out of my wheelhouse. And and it was hard to get you can't get pure data or really i guess you know coming in because it's like how do i how do i do this it's going to come from television and it's going to be from you know the angles are always switching and changing and so it was one of those where i was like this is just kind of dirty i don't know really how to approach it and and all but it's one of those that really interests me and i always watch the fights i'm always like see look at them they're doing it again you know it's wow yeah, tra yeah. it trains your eye. You it really probably is. never look at boxing fights the same. How, how much yeah. has that evolved over time for you, just how oh. you watch fights? I try my best to watch as a fan. Like I said, I still I still will tally uh, scores some because I don't want to get rid of that. And, uh, and that's just really fun for me. But if it's a big fight, main event, rarely do I... Uh, do I mark stuff down and all it's one of those where I, I just want to sit back and enjoy it. Yeah. I remember texting you during the uh, Mayweather McGregor fight oh, and yeah. you called it, man. You <laughs> called it like to the T. I was yeah. just like, it was like whatever, what, what it in the seventh round or yep. something. I think I was texting you like fourth or fifth round. You're like, 
It's over. Yeah, it's, it's it's practically over. The it's wavering. This yep. is what's happening. <laughs> and I was just like. Mayweather's one of those that, you know, it, it's, I was, I was kind of like, how, is he going to just let it go? Is he just going to kind of sit back and be safe? He's a, he's a safety first guy, which is why he was able to, you know, be that dominant for so long. Maybe, and I've heard boxing teams mm-hmm. say this, and maybe this is the number one tenet of boxing, fundamental defense at all times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's hit and don't get hit. And, and that was his thing. You know, it's like, it's, it's one of those where, why would you? And I, I liked, you know, like, um, a Turo Gotti, you know, or Mickey Ward, you know, when they had their, you know, they had a trilogy where they just, it looked like a bar fight. You know, if someone had thrown a bar stool in the middle of the ring, it would not have, it would have been like, okay, they're just, they're up there just wailing on each other. Fun to watch. But you're also thinking these guys are, you know, going to be eating out of a tube. This is not good. This that, cannot yes. be healthy. And, you know, and you're watching it going, this isn't really boxing. This isn't, that's not what the sport should be. You know, now it can turn to that sometime, but that shouldn't be your go-to. You know, just get in there and just start wailing. Yeah. It, I yeah. did a, I did a, I, uh, and you give it a listen, just tell me what you think. It's about 20 minutes. So I did a mm-hmm. podcast on Western boxing in the ancient world. Oh, okay. okay. So, and there's this, and actually a podcast guest was like, you ever heard of Melon Comus? And I was like, no, who is he? And so Melon Comus was, may have been a real person, but uh-huh. he, he he purportedly fought in the Olympic Games as a boxer. And those things are sticky, but they're widespread panic coasters. And <laughs> if you look at the walls, you know that that's my, my favorite band. I, no, that's, I, was, I tried to drink off mic. You know, have you ever like listened to a podcast where you hear someone? Yes. And I'm like, so. I also like I've done this like in doing like podcasts like the one I did yeah. where it's just me solo is like pause the recording. I didn't on that one, but like on audio only. Yeah. And then I'll be listening to like audio only podcast uh, on YouTube or something. And it like. Yep. It like, <laughs> like you hear just like the. Po- and I was like, man, I know I did that on that yep. Syrians podcast. I heard it was. Uh, and I don't even know why I was listening because it was one of those where I was like. I think it was just top chart just to see. And it was like iced tea, I think it was. And I swear he was eating chips. It was just like, oh, oh man. Like, and I'm like, this is horrible. Last somebody has like a cough seconds. drop or something. It like hits their teeth. You oh, can, yeah. uh, John Anthony West, I saw him. Like he would always have like a, like a Hall's cough drop or something in his mouth when he'd be talking. It was like rattling around. Yeah, you're like, oh, stop it. Oh. <laughs> but yeah. sorry, I interrupted Well, Mel- Melancomas, he, okay, so he apparently was undefeated. Okay. Won one in the Olympic Games, uh, maybe multiple times. But he never got hit, and he never delivered a blow. What? That's the legend. That's the myth. Uh-huh. Right? And that was his strategy. Like, And, and reportedly, uh, in, in one source I read, in one of his matches, like his opponent died after chasing <laughs> him for like three hours out, out in the oh, heat. Oh, wow. You know, so like... It, he just refused to play the game. Yeah. Well, what was that? Uh, Willie Pep? Wasn't that? He he won around. He told the um, um, he told the, the journalist before one of his fights, I'm going to win a round without throwing a punch in anger. Now, he threw jabs just to keep the, the person off. But that was all he did. And he won around all three judges scorecard without throwing a punch. Wow. And you're like, that's that's crazy. But that's 
that's the way the sport was supposed to be. And if you watch like old turn of the century stuff or, or you know, there's some video, but most of it's uh, most of it's journalist report. It's all, um, you know, you hear like 110 round fight or whatever. Those weird ones. Well, they were just clinched. It was just a clinch fest. And so it was more judo than it was boxing. And also they uh, they allowed uh, uh, tosses. And also yeah. you would see just like in there a little more like uh, sumo wrestling. And also they just get in there and clinch until they could throw the person down. And, you know, it's, all right, end of that round. Now come back together. And it's just like rarely do you throw a punch. What do you think about boxing rings in general? Um, I wish they were standardized. So if you watched the Klitschko fights, their, their rings were monster. Vladimir's were. So he, he had a huge reach, but he also couldn't get hit. He would be knocked out. He had a horrible chin. And so he would have these rings and all some of them were 24 by 24. Oh, wow. And all. And you see the same with um, and then you'd see his brother of Vitali and all. He, he couldn't chase anyone down and all. And he would have 18 by 18 rings. And you'd be like, well, this is ridiculous. What's and with, going on and with Vladimir, he had good conditioning, but he would try to tire out opponents. They used extra cushion so that your feet would sink. <sighs> so you're in sand the whole time. And I'm like. This shouldn't that shouldn't be part of your contract. Yeah. To me, it's like when that becomes part of the game, it's just silly. Well, I th- here's my hang up with yeah. things. And there's there's one promotion that's kind of that has some kickboxing before the MMA mm-hmm. fights. It's Bellator. Okay. But uh, so they so a ring sport and then they do MMA fights. But, you know, it's okay. really everybody's there for the MMA fights. Kind of kickboxing is just like yeah. the warm up entertainment or whatever. But they lower the the cage down over. Oh, an existing ring. Then. Yes. But what that creates for the kickboxers is a situation in which them falling out of the ring would never occur. See, I like that. Me too. Yeah. So like I, the elevated ring with not a lot of overhang mm-hmm. around the edges of the ropes. That's my hang yeah. up on just the whole design of the thing. Oh, yeah. It's it, weird. It, it really is odd. And, and it is a, that elevation I don't really I get it for, I guess, being able to see it and all. But we also have kind of modern you know, facilities where like if you go to a basketball arena, you're kind of over the court. It's kind of a bizarre way of looking at the mm-hmm. game. And so if you put a boxing match in that, I mean, you would be able to you're right over everything. It doesn't need to be elevated. Yeah, that's that. And people have made the same sort of argument about MMA. Mm hmm. Because wall work, it's, it's an interesting part of the game, but I, and I wonder if it's just, I wonder if like what you're saying, like yeah. the Klitschko ring 24, like I wonder if you just made a really, like the barriers are so far away from where right. the fight is primarily going to take place. Yeah. I've always wondered that because it seems so artificial to put a cage around. I'm like, it's, I get the original when they started doing it, it was like, it was promotional yeah. and it was to look tough. And then it's kind of like, eh, I don't, I just don't know. I don't, to me, it takes a little bit of the sport away. I don't know. I just, it, I don't. It's, it's weird. Like, I remember when I was a kid hearing about cage fights, like, I was like, oh, like, you mean like they did in WCW? That's exactly what like I thought when I first saw it. I was like, it's so professional wrestling. You can't wrestling. get out. You can't get out. <laughs> It's like, yeah, you win by submission or or, or, or climbing out of the yeah, cage. I've seen somebody <laughs> climb out that top. I mean, yeah, that's what, I, like, when I heard cage fighting, that's yeah. what I always equated it to. 
was that and that's just because that's what i saw when i was a kid oh yeah you know so but by the time i was getting out of high school that's when the ultimate fighters started yeah. becoming a big thing and forrest griffin and and the emergence of you know like chuck waddell and some of those yeah. earlier uh ufc fighters that really sort yeah. of blew it up as a sport but it's wild now it gets espn coverage it, every day it's strange yeah. it really is because it's one of those where i always thought it'd be a fringe always thought it would be fringe every everybody in my family also thought that about me owning like a gym and stuff they're like it's a fad brian Are you which serious? i guess it still may be but it's uh, been like a 13 so. year fad for the, me the thing i thought of when it first came out um i i saw I saw one of the first ultimate fight fighting things that um, back when it was on VHS tape, probably that Hoist Gracie. Does. Oh yeah. It was yeah. one of those early ones where, you know, they have like all the different styles against each other and there, you know, no weight limit stuff and all. And um, I was talking to a friend about it. I was like, man, have you seen this? I saw someone get their arm broken. This is like, it was almost like faces of death. Finding it at like a video store. It's like, Oh wow. I saw someone die, you know? Um, and so very early internet, like, you know, what is that? Late nineties, mid nineties, you know? Um, and when I was talking to them, they're like, yeah, they used to do this in Japan, but it was mixed with professional wrestling. So it's all fake. And I was like, what? No, no, it looked real. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's just professional wrestling. That's all it is. And all. And that was like the initial blow off that I heard. And then when you go back and you look the early stuff that was coming out of Japan, they did have work fights and shoot fights. Yeah. And I'm like, to me, I always thought that that would be the downfall of UFC. I always figured that someone would, you know, start talking about, oh, is this really staged? Is this whatever? You know, and whenever the, was it Conor McGregor, when he threw all the stuff at the bus? I think that was staged. Oh, I think it was staged. And when I saw that, I went, oh my gosh, this is... That's what I this said. This is old WCW There's stuff. There's some this people that argued with me about it, but I think it was totally staged. And so I always thought that that would be the downfall, but it's like, I think... I think that they got a lot of buffering because of folks like you. I mean, you go to any city, there's MMA gyms. And it's like, no, they're doing real stuff. And, you know, and it's like, and you see that and you see the, you know, um, I think Memphis several years ago had like a, a some, someone tried to attack a cop and he was, a you know, did mixed martial arts training. And he just like yeah. beat him up on film or something. You're like, you see that on a daily news cycle that you go. Oh, okay, this is real. And so I think that that might have been the buffer that stopped that and that. But I always and always anticipated that to be the thing of like, you know, this is just all work. This and then is, it, it's like it's almost like a new national pastime. It's weird. Yeah, it really is. I mean, because it's once it like once the Fox deal happened, I was oh. like, oh, that's big. You know, we're on TV. And I would tell people yeah. that. And then um then then the espn deal when espn happened i was like this is huge it really is there was some uncertainty when the fox deal went away there was like i I, and i guess they've Mm -hmm. probably been working on the espn thing forever but yeah you know also the ufc got bought out by this major entertainment company zufa did rather um some years ago uh, like like for like six billion dollars or something oh my like gosh. A, the fertita brothers and i think that they like silently own bellator because of all I, that's been like a conspiracy theory of mine a mixed martial arts <laughs> conspiracy theory because i like just have jorn rebney was pushed out and there was some there's some weird things that went on there um but bellator has a lot of previous ufc talent it's mm-hmm. kind of there's a lot of been a lot of crossover right. So they're they're arguably the like 
second largest MMA organization. Wow. Yeah. They've even had a lot of boxers come over. Yeah. Particularly females. Yeah. That, um, it's weird that you're yeah. seeing that more females going in. And all, um, the only boxer I can, you know, uh, James Tony with the UFC. And um, I was, um, I brought in uh, Robert Guerrero mm-hmm. uh, for, d- the bone marrow drive, for the bone right? marrow drive that we did on campus. And um, I asked him about it because I knew uh, James Tony trained at his gym. I was like, all right, give me the lowdown. But, you know, he, he said, oh, it's just a payday. And he said that he was going in. Uh-huh. He said he did no training. Basically, James Tony only trains through um, sparring. He, he doesn't lift weights. He doesn't do anything. He just rolls wow. in, punches some guys, goes home. And so he was like, he said, he said, man. He's like, I'm the highest paid UFC fighter at all. That said, that's how he introduced one day at the gym. They're like, what are you talking about? He's like, I just signed a deal for a million dollars and nobody was getting that. And so he was like, they're like, well, are you going to train? He's like, no, I'm going to go in, lay down, get my money and leave. And so his whole thing was, you know, if I can catch him with a punch, cool, but I'm not training all this other stuff. Wow. So he went in with no experience, no training other than just trying to catch him with a good punch and was like, just get me out of here, get my money and go. Yeah. And that's like, that was to me, I was like, oh, that's, you know, because James Tony is one of the best boxers. And when I he got was to younger, meet him a couple years ago in uh, Springfield. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Yeah. Tim, Tim was supposed to have a fight up there and it fell through. Could, could uh, you, um, could you understand anything he said? No. Yeah. No, he's so punch drunk. It's, Man, it's really you, sad. Did you watch uh, Vander Holyfield on Joe Rogan's podcast? Recently? Yeah. He, did you feel like he at times was a little punch drunk? Yeah. Well, I thought he was worse years ago. He seemed better. Uh, there was a few times where he was uh, doing interviews before fights before he retired that I was like, get this guy out of here. He there meandered was, a little bit, but yeah. I felt like it, it was, it was usually on things he did. Like when Joe was asking about like CBD or something, yeah. like things that like, he's like, got this, like he's like an investor in yeah. CBD or something. But it was one of those where, yeah, I, I, James Tony's one of those sad cases because he was one of the best uh, pure, just pure, uh, you know, uh, fighters with no training, he could go in there and do stuff that people couldn't do. And he just kind of like, he took the lazy way out. He didn't train. Yeah. He didn't eat right. He didn't do anything. And all the stuff he accomplished with that is, it's pretty astonishing. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I, I wish we could have seen, you know, he fought, um, you know, Roy Jones and, and on uh, lost Roy Jones. And I wish we would have seen a trained James Tony, someone that was really dedicated, fight Roy Jones. I think that would have been something we'd still be talking about. Yeah, yeah. I see, James Tony, that was interesting when he crossed over. Yeah, and I mean, because it, it took that buddy, but he for a while he was he was the highest paid UFC fighter. Fought one time, lasted what forty five seconds. So, yeah, it was like a minute. I mean, it was it was not long at all. Yeah. And they do we see these spectacle fights like yeah. that in the grappling world and everywhere. There's yeah. like get, getting like these high level jujitsu bite belts to fight like a division one wrestler. That's hot right now. Really, and like a special rules. Situation like uh, no leg locks or something like that. See, that's just I don't. To me, I'm like I want to see two people that are just skilled at their craft. I don't the. I don't know that that to me means a lot more uh, and all. I want to see like when Conor McGregor is fighting Floyd, I'm like, if I was on the Nevada State Athletic Commission, first of all, the reason I wouldn't be on it was because I would have said no to something like this, <laughs> you know, and they're making like, what, a billion dollars oh, for the yeah. state or something. Wow. I, you know, I, I looked at that and I'm like, there's no way 
anybody with any experience should have should have made that a, a fight because at the end of the day it's like yeah connor connor's a skilled athlete and i'm sure he could have beat some fighters and stuff but uh, come on there's so many people trying to it's make that gimmick happen again even yeah. bryce from uh which i know he's been on the podcast i saw that he's like i'm gonna hit floyd so hard he 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 gonna he be able read to read a book. a book. I was just like, "Oh man!" I saw that. I was like, "That's beautiful." Oh uh, yeah, but it's it is one of those where you look at it and you're like, "No," at all. And it's like if someone's using it as a payday or whatever, fantastic. That's cool. But we shouldn't give it the you know the it shouldn't be the spectacle that it is. It's like no, the people are doing this for a money grab. Go and enjoy whatever. But it takes away. Yeah. I don't like I, yeah. the over dramatization of all. It, yeah. It, of all of in all the like the pageantry that you were talking about is one thing like yeah. i just i mean i would be fine with every boxing fight like having like a rocky four when yeah. apollo fights like drago like yeah. something like that at the beginning <laughs> you know exactly uh, but it's like the 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 back and forth nowadays and the yeah. The the staging like that bus incident, I, I, I that well, takes away from it. And, from and the the one guy was it is it Covington from this past weekend? Yeah. And all I, I, I that was the first time I'd ever really heard of. I'm not a not got a big job broken. Got his jaw broken, but it was like the politics. It was like all of a sudden everyone now is like, oh, he was a Trump this. Oh, it was an act, but no, he said in racist this and that. And I'm like, can that just be taken out? You know, I don't want to. I don't want to hear that. It's like I want to talk about the sport. I don't want to. I don't want to bring that sells. into there. Yeah, that's how, and I wonder if that's like a people. It's yeah. just a byproduct. Like when somebody's like, like you know, uh, Baby Yoda memes are hot right now. <laughs> yeah. Like people would be like, oh, being politically controversial is hot right now. Yeah, and like weave that into their yeah. But that whole model of like that, that's a pro wrestling model. Oh, yeah. That's a Donald Trump model or whatever. Yeah, you know, like we've, totally. we've talked about that. I believe before Trump ever even got in office, we're I, talking about their characters. I told you. And I told you that. Um, so when uh, Robert Guerrero was here, I asked him, I was like, you know, and I hadn't been to Floyd's gym yet and I hadn't met anybody, you know, but I was like, okay. Give me the lowdown because he just had a pay-per-view fight with him. And um, I was like, all right, you've been on the 24-7. You've been on this and all. How's Floyd? And he's like, well, Floyd's great when it's just him. And he's like, but if there's a camera uh, around him, you know, it's it's he turns it on. It's like it's an act. And he said that the whole money Mayweather thing, he said it all came from Vince McMahon. And so, and I've looked into this, and there was, there was a negotiation, supposedly, to get uh, Floyd and Oscar De La Hoya to do a tag match to have a wrestler with them. So it'd be like Floyd and whoever, and then Oscar and somebody else, and they were going to have a, a, a tag match at a WrestleMania. Wow. And so Floyd meets with uh, Vince McMahon, and the, his whole thing was, you know, how do I sell myself? And he's like, and also he gave him the um, uh, money thing, which supposedly was his, uh, Vince McMahon's son's gimmick was, you know, something with money. And so the whole thing was a Vince McMahon creation, which later on they bring in who? Donald Trump. And all, and what did Donald Trump use later on? You're fired, fired. which came from Vince McMahon. It was a character. The, it's, it's all character work and it's given by him. So so they said that was so whole, the whole thing of Floyd was that that ends up dropping out. Oscar De La Hoya doesn't want to go onto this, but he keeps the thing and he's like, I still want to do a WrestleMania. And he does it the next year. 
and all. But in the meantime, he ends up, you know, using the money thing for 24 seven, gets his team to do everything. He's throwing money around. He's doing all this. When I went to his gym, they were doing a camp for homeless kids in Las Vegas. There, it's a charity organization to get these kids off the street during the day and all. And it was all through, you know, working with the schools, working with uh, different agencies and all. They'd make sure the kids had a place to eat, a place to sleep, had something. They were doing that for homeless kids. They do all kinds of charity work all around Las Vegas. They're not bad guys. They're not gangsters or no, whatever. No, no, yeah. not at all. It's all a gimmick. It's it's all, it's all fake. And so that was like wow. that, you know, when they were talking about that, what is Covington or whatever, you know, you know, oh, it's just a gimmick, you know, that he's a Trump supporter or whatever. It's like, I mean, that's all it is anymore. And it's like, I hate seeing that, that you have this, you know, this fake whatever. And it's like, I get hyping up a fight you know muhammad ali did that you know jack johnson did that back in the you know 1920s and all but well, it's like at this at that level that covington is doing i think it almost taps into like the sports nationalism thing yes of like yes. It, it it strikes that chord at least yep and then here's something else uh that i used to not like seeing and and I don't know what you think about it. It's like, let's say the, the like, and I don't think they do it this way entirely, mm-hmm. but let's say there's a fight in Brazil or a fight in another yeah. country. Like they've been guilty. Of the, it's going to be the United States versus oh, yeah. these or all Brazilian <laughs> fighters on this side <laughs> yep. versus, and I don't, I don't like how they do that. I don't know. Like, no, I don't I was, like it either. And it's all, but it is kind of funny. Like when like Ricky Hatton, would fight you know all this like all of a sudden like a stadium would be full of like you know folks from great britain you know manchester just moves to las vegas Uh, and they're they're doing their manchester chants and all this stuff and you're like what it was like that with mcgregor yeah yeah. see that was a wild thing about it really odd to see it and it it brings a different atmosphere but it's yeah i I, I don't know i I just i'm not a fan of it and all now did you ever see I mentioned Jack Johnson. Did you ever see Ken Burns Yo, documentary? Yeah, so good. That's one so of the best good. documentaries on, on boxing ever. Have it, you ever seen the Sugar Ray Robinson documentary? No. It's on, it's on HBO it on? Uh, now or Go Oh, I would or love to see that. Yeah, or it was. I assume yeah. it still is because, you know, HBO unboxing. But that's where I saw it. And it gets into his later life and he just has, he just deteriorates yeah. his mood. And Yeah, that's, that, the, yeah. It's one of those where it taps those stories just tap into. Yeah. What were you saying about Jack Johnson, though? He was just one of those where you look at it. The few films that they have of him, he looks like a modern or, you know, contemporary boxer fighting the old English stand up style. Put up your dukes, you know, and he's over there just, you know, just mauling these guys. And and, you know, and when you do see, you know, it's like he's fighting at a time where it was like, you know, the whole the whole line, you know, great white hope was that was like, you know, we got to find a white guy to win the you know heavyweight title from him. So when people talk about the, you know, the great white hope, I'm like, that is the most racist thing you could say. They don't understand. People don't understand where that no, comes the, from. The cultural. I've been so good. Not not as an adult, but yeah. like there's been just certain words and we talked about them on the podcast. Oh, and yeah. I remember hearing growing up, like you know, going to flea markets and stuff, be like, I'm going to gym down. Oh, yeah. Hey, oh, I yeah. got gypped. Oh, yeah. There's another one. Gyp I didn't even realize was bad. And until I mean, later, I was I was probably a young adult when I went. Oh, that's what. Oh, I've used that before. The the one that got me, I was in high school and I, and I tell this to some of my students sometimes because you know, t- teaching psychology, sometimes we touch on t- 
touchy topics and people we ex- it's like sometimes students are expected to talk in an appropriate way before they've been trained and my whole thing is always let's take a step back and all we know that there's some stuff that's just off off the table we don't need to train much on that i mean the n-word that's never going to be said in, in a class and that i'm going to be a part of i that's you know we know that okay that's been set aside but some of it we might not be and, and all and i i grew up um you know uh i was a first generation college student stuff like that so Same. it was one of those where in um we didn't talk about some of the stuff uh and so i i used you know at the time anything stupid was gay oh i'm so guilty of that as well oh yeah and 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 so i was um i was with a group of friends one day and i was you know and we we're all talking about stuff and that's gay that's gay that's gay blah 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 and all and one of my friends who i knew was gay i know he's open he's out of the closet he wasn't like he was hiding all, and he just looks at me and goes why do you why do you always say that say what I didn't even know what he was talking about. It was just so ingrained. Was, yeah. And he's like, you know, that hurts. And I was like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't I didn't even think of the connotation that I'm using this in a negative way. And this is someone's life here and all that. And it was one of those where I was I was so fortunate to have someone say that and give me a chance. Never impacted a friendship, never impacted anything like that. But it was one of those where you go, oh, OK, well, that that can be painful. Why am I doing something that's painful? Yeah. And I could move it on. And so I always try to tell students that I, I I was given that option. I hope that we can do the same. And sometimes people will say stuff like, <laughs> like Jip or Jew or something like that. And you go, ooh, yeah, that's, do you know where that comes from? No. Okay, well, here's that. And then the same thing, like Great White Hope. You hear that in all kinds of boxing commentators. will use that phrase. And you're like, no, 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 no. Don't say that. No, you can't say that. You know, that's 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 horrible because it does come from a place where it was like we cannot have, you know, a, a black heavyweight champion. That is the that is the quintessential man's man. And that can't be a black guy. That's where it comes from. we got to get a white guy in there to beat him. And, all, and it comes from Jack Johnson. And, um, and man, that guy, his story is wild. My favorite sto- Jack Johnson story is when he gets the speeding ticket that's exactly i was about to say that yeah driving through uh, driving through georgia white uh white cop pulls him over and he's in a sports car at a time when black people were not allowed to get even driver's license let alone own a car which was out of everyone's price range he's driving a sports car gravel road in georgia cop pulls him over says you know you're speeding how much is it gonna cost fifty dollars gives him a hundred dollar bill it says i'll be coming back oh <laughs> yes it's that's hilarious but that's what was his thing he stood up to all of that and all and he would he would flirt with girls at ringside white women at ringside just to infuriate the crowd and it's like he's at this is at a time where i, I don't know how he didn't get shot i thought that many times i mean you you read the stories and you and you're like i don't know how this guy made it through that but you know they um they uh got him for sex trafficking because he had a white girlfriend do you know that's how he got sent to jail i i i I think so. Yep. I think I'd heard that, but and, yeah, and all, and it's one of those where he took a white across woman state lines, across state yeah. lines, and so they they the sex trafficking. Can you imagine, like you and your wife going on a vacation, and they say, "Oh, you That's, took her across state lines," you know? 
How long, how long did he have to serve? To be honest, I don't remember, but it was it was quite some time. I mean, basically, it ruined his career and ruined his life. I should re- I haven't seen that. I'd have to go back years. and look at the number. Burns documentaries are so. Oh, it was good, fascinating. Man. If when I haven't taught U.S. history two yet, but I I broke my notes out for yeah. U.S. history two the other day, and um, I would I would definitely integrate yeah. some of that in because I mean I remember you know like Moses he really integrated in uh, the Jackie Robinson stuff oh, for yeah. baseball but it's like you could do the very similar parallel with oh with very that. much so well and it was you know what um, almost thirty years before Jackie Robinson yeah you know one of the you know when Jack Johnson won the heavyweight title it was it caused one of the largest series of race riots in u.s history and all where dozens of uh, of african-americans were killed on the night that he won just from people listening to the radio and hearing a black guy win the title they went to the black parts of town and started killing people i mean it's one of those where you're it doesn't even make sense to say that but that was the outcome and all people died because of that and so it's it was it was a totally different time period and it's really shocking but yeah, he, he, you know, but he was also, he set the standard where we wouldn't have had a Muhammad Ali if it wasn't for him. Muhammad Ali said he stole, you know, everything from Jack Johnson and gorgeous George, you know, from wrestling. That's why he yelled and screamed and everything else. He saw it from wrestling. Wow. But yeah, Jack Johnson, man, that guy's a, he's a beast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he started off fighting in basements, you know, doing, um, Oh, what what did they call them? Where um, they would blindfold. They would take a group of black men, blindfold them, put them out in the in middle of a basement, and people would bet on who would be the last one standing. They just beat each other up blindfolded. I mean, that's how these people were treated, and all. Uh, and uh, it's 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 really astonishing when you look at it. And that's where he came out of to become the one of the best boxers of all time. And when you look at the videos, like, yeah, that's he's something else. Yeah. I mean, amazing. And then just to have the pride and the, um, you know, the just bravery. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's one of those stories I wish everybody would see because. I know. Is it still? I, I wonder if it's still on I, Netflix. I, I remember. I hope. Yeah. I bet so. I, know. I have access to the the, the university has I, yeah, all I bought, Ken Burns. Stuff I, bought, I, I bought the DVD. I loved it that much. I was like, this is one of those stories that's just. Yeah, it's phenomenal, and and it and it touches on so much on on race. It touches on all kinds of different, you know, political uh, establishment stuff. I mean, you could you could use it in so many different classes. It's it's really neat. Yeah, you know, somebody I'm having on the podcast, and I was mm-hmm. looking at like their, and that's something I wanted to talk to you about, like yeah. your your reemergence into teaching. But uh, oh, Doctor yeah. Aaron Claire is coming on. Oh, very and like cool. she sent me like her like a little resume to, so I could like <laughs> know what she was yeah. all about. And like the number of classes that she's developed and like, yep. I'm going to talk to her about just like her creativity. She's oh, yeah. going to be uh, at the new gym. She's going to be teaching some yoga for us. Oh, is, good. Is okay. So yeah. Yeah. Erin's um, amazing. She, yeah. She I mean, really is my limited interactions with her. I'm like, she's super interesting. See, I, I came in uh, uh, to university 14 years ago and uh, her husband came in that year and Aaron came in as an adjunct. So she didn't have a full-time uh, job at that time. Um, and it was one of those. So I met them just, we were all new together. And so I've just watching her grow and her husband grow and all has been amazing because they, they came in very skilled, uh, incredible individuals. And then they've grown in, 
into just I would like to have Dr. Even better. on, too. They're both just phenomenal people. Uh, yeah, you couldn't ask for a better better set of colleagues from those two. Yeah, that's uh, and that's the cool part is getting to sit, yeah. just getting to sit down with people oh, yeah. like this yeah. or listen to albums or whatever it is we do yeah. on these podcasts. <laughs> but that's kind of, uh, we, I've remarked on this, kind of, that's kind of lost these days. Oh, yeah. No uh, one has conversations yeah. and all. It, it, it's, a, it's really a, amazing. I... Um, the number of people that I'll talk to where it's like they, they prefer text, you know, just these short exchanges. It's almost like, you know, it's going for, out for coffee. It's too much for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. those conversations are kind of gone. And then having substantive talks is rare. And all most of the time it's about work. And that's cool. I mean, sometimes that needs to be said, but you know, and you need to vent or something. But when it's every time, it's like, what do you do for a hobby? What excites you? What are you angry about? What are you upset? Uh, you know, what is, what are you going to change? What, what are you chasing in life? What's, what are your goals? Passions. Yeah. No one talks about that. No one talks about, it. you know, what, it, what is your favorite Ken Burns documentary or, you know, what is it? it those types of things. I, I no. Moving out of that realm of just small talk. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's so easy to just do that with people too. Mm -hmm. Oh uh, yeah. 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 We're, sure. there's not many conversations anymore. It's, it's, a, it's really kind of a, it's a sad thing. I think that's why a lot of people like podcasts though. I do. I think that. Yeah. You can't find good conversations. So at least you can listen in. That's why, man, that's why I've liked this audio book endeavor. Oh, that really? I've been on. Is, well, like just earlier I was, mm -hmm. I worked out and I listened to a chapter of this book and I sat in sauna and I listened to a chapter of another book. Yeah. And normally I would just be sitting there and doing nothing, you know, yeah. like, so it was, it was very, it was, it's, it's been nice. And I always listen to stuff in the car, usually podcasts, but mm -hmm. it's just been something else I've integrated and, and, and it saved some time. Right. right? It, and it, it allows me to do reading also every day, but right. I actually, and I have to open, I talk with people, but I have like a low end reading comprehension. I'm like, I'm good for about seven pages at a time. Really? Yeah. No way. I seriously really? I'm like an I'm like an audio visual learner, man. Oh, that's funny. I, I like if you like if you tell it to me, like lecturing, note taking, mm -hmm. I, I imprint very well to memory, watching documentaries, hearing podcasts, right. and then now audiobooks. Oh, that's like so like I just like trying to focus on my strengths with that. Yeah. But I mean I, but also I still read every day. Yeah. You know, that too. And but it's just like I will notice if I read for a long time, I'm just like, uh. have you thought about doing any book stuff for uh, teaching any of your uh, martial arts stuff? I have thousands of pages. Yeah, of I figured you would, stuff, you know, so I, I don't know. It's like, do you watch or do you look at your count of who's watching your stuff? Can you tell who? Uh, yes. Yes. You Are, know, we have the gym YouTube as well. So okay. like, and then I have this and it's, this is diverse because I get more audio listens and then I get more Facebook video views, but uh -huh. the YouTube is like an overtime. Like, yeah, I noticed like for the gyms, YouTube has 600 videos. We get like thousands of views per month really the podcast is it's it's still hundreds to a thousand yeah. views a month but do people, know, do people know your story have you have you talked about uh, just here and so, there so whatever uh, and all whenever i met you and all i was teaching you were a grad student i guess 
and all. And it was really funny because, of course, I was boxing uh, addict and all. I've always been drawn to people that are unique, people that are doing cool stuff. And um, all of a sudden I hear and all, uh, it's like, man, there's this guy who does MMA downstairs and all. And I was like, and, I, and it was one of those where, I, you know, we talked in the hallway. You know, but I was always just kind of like watching on, on you know, on uh, online. No, I thought it was the most punk rock thing I've ever seen. It was, <laughs> well, it's just it's like you and everyone else. And it's like and I don't mean it disrespectful kids, but it's like you guys were all younger than me. You're all, all in college. And it was like all this so was like this group of kids that are like, OK, there's nothing here. We're going to put it here. And it's like and I knew it, it was like you guys are like traveling everywhere, trying to learn, learn a little bit here, learn a little bit there. Hey, someone did is good at this. Let's bring them in. And it was like in back rooms of gyms and all this stuff. It was really, really unique. And then to me, there are so many people that go into a system and they just there. That's all that they have. Uh, you know, and that's it. So it's, um, you know, I did, uh, some of the keto stuff. And so you're a keto bio you know? Yeah. And, and all, yeah, but it was awesome. like, it was one of those words, like everything I learned was straight from, you know, Carl Geis's methodology. And that was it. I have no other influence. You've got all this other influence and all these other stuff. And it's like, and I know you have primary things, but you brought in so many other outside things. I'm like, to me, I think there's so much to be learned there because a lot of people don't get that. And that was one of the things I was just, yeah, I, I watched with envy. I was like, man, this is cool. I talked to my wife Thanks, about man. it. I would go home and be like, man, you won't believe it at all. It's, it's, yeah, they, he has a fight this weekend. So it's like, yeah, she knew about you before we ever sent our kid to the gym or started coming in and stuff. It's like, yeah, we had a ton of respect for you guys. We thought well, it was thanks, cool. man. That's, yeah, that's well, very it was so, flattering. But it was also positive. There's a lot of meatheads that get into that where it's just like, you know, I want to beat up someone. You guys were all like learning focused and it was just feeding off each other and helping each other. And the whole, I guess, Inferno system was yeah. just it was a positive crew. That's, and I'm, that's what kind of makes us unique, I think, is oh, it's yeah. a culture thing. Oh, absolutely. I know for a fact if with, you know, any I have no athletic ability or, or anything or desire to spar and fight and all this stuff i know i could walk into any of those gyms and be treated respectfully and it'd be safe and um they would also you know help me get better if i wanted to go into something and all i think they would it's just it's one of those you don't see that you see a lot of uh sales pitches at a lot of these gyms you don't see that at at your guys's it's, bought, it's, yeah it's really that. cool I hate that. You know, because like, well, for example, I mean, how long's Ian been coming to class? Oh, my gosh. Years. For years now. And yeah. some people, they're like, you got to do a contract, Brian. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't. Because I just, the people pay every month. And that's, yeah. and, and, it's, and, it, and it develops this year long, years long oh, relationship yeah. where it's, I'm not like, hey, will you sign another contract yeah. with me? I just, I never got that. Mm -mm. I'd always, I think it cheapens it on the front end. Oh yeah. And, and two, and I've even tried to be more so about this. Like I, I the, martial arts kind of has this like cult of personality a lot of like, yes, he, uh, hero worshiping stuff. And I've kind of had to wade through some of that over the years of dislike. No, we're not trying to be daddy. This is a service, yeah. not a cult. <laughs> we want to be positive, but I, I don't really, I'm not trying to be all these people's life coaches, but yeah. it's just like, hey, this is what martial artists do. 
we're of service to others. Oh yeah. And and these are the values that I read about when I study the history of all of these arts, you know, and oh, what, yeah. what I wrote my master's about and just sharing that. And it's the life skills and, and there are these positive values associated mm-hmm. with it and, and they're irrefutable and that's what they've done for me and I just try and share that. Oh yeah. You know, and I, I really think you should try to write something. I know. Put it I've down. talked to Woods about it several times. I don't. It's hard. I just don't know what direction to yeah. go. I want. I, I. I. have goals to write, and I could. I could go. I could elaborate on my master's oh, thesis. Yeah. Any direction. Any, any. I could do just Japan. I could do it right. So I, I don't know. To me, it's one of those where I think the unique approach you guys took is. It, it is unique these days. You know, it's, you know, and that's, it's one of those where, you know, when you look at those kind of big names, that's what they did. They, they went out and had to seek this out and, you know, move to Japan or move to this or that. And when you go back, you guys were doing that in rural Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty sweet. And it was, it was one of the, like I said, it's, and you talk about punk rock. It was, that was it, man. It was just like, yeah, you guys created a community when there was none and well, you kept it. And that was the other thing. It would have been, I was always scared. You would get a job somewhere, go off and it would die or, or somebody else, whoever was in that. I was always scared. It was like, eh, this is going to just fade off because it was, it was cool to see. It really was. Cause I know, um, I had students that would come through that were interested in, in, uh, mixed martial arts or boxing or something like that. And I was always like, you need to contact this guy. <laughs> this is, yeah. this is, this is the go-to and all because I knew they would be taken care of. I knew it was like a safe, cool spot, but I also knew it's like, there's nothing like this in in town or in the state Uh, these this is it and we've started doing some more stuff for students too so cool that was like that's become like a smaller demographic over the last few years for us not i don't think it's because like core and i got out of college i think it's like yeah economics and things so we actually came up with like a we always did a student discount right right but we actually changed it we're like 75 bucks a month Mm -hmm. unlimited training oh that's nice unlimited you can come to everything if you are a college student it is 75 dollars a month because we do semester rates and some other things and we still will but it's just like i have a lot of empathy for that time of my life when i was a grad (laughs) student and stuff like that and it, it is weird i was just talking to somebody about this yesterday it really this is the plan all along exactly what is happening exactly to the t but i i couldn't have imagined it happening like yeah it's like i only wanted it i was like yes i'm going to do this and get my (laughs) master's degree and i will get a job teaching right i actually never really anticipated to get a full-time job teaching with a master's. oh yeah and i'm fortunate to be able to do that i loved getting to Mm -hmm. teach and you know, and then I, I come to find out it's not super rare. Billy Reader has a master's degree. Oh, yeah. Neil Harrington has a master's degree. Like they were recently on the podcast. I was like, what? Yep. Tenured professors. Oh, yeah. I thought that was just like <laughs> gone. I thought that was over. But, you know, and it's not uh, you get they had experience and oh, yeah. started off adjunct. It's things just like it, that. I You know, just like I have. Yeah. But it's been an interesting journey for sure. And I'm oh, yeah. excited about you know about the next five years to to see well i think i joked with you it's one of those words uh the thing i find fun 
And it's almost funny to watch the number of places you guys have outgrown. You know, you started off at the, was it the, that one spot on Main Street that was the um, upholstery? Yes. Spot. Yes, we were there for a and year. When I saw that, I was like, well, I don't know where anyone's going to park, but it's cool. It's cool space. Yeah. And then you moved to the other places, like, same thing, like within a year. It's like, all right, know where to park. And it's in a mall. <laughs> Or strip mall. Man, our neighbors hated us because oh, yeah. we would just fill up that parking lot. Oh, yeah. And now was, we see how we fill up like four blocks where we're at now. Yeah. It's crazy. It's great. I'm like, pretty soon you're going to be in the old Walmart and then you'll be like, man, I don't have enough space. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, like we were, we we looked all over the place and really the, the building we're moving to is the first opportunity that mm-hmm. was viable. That It oh, just yeah. worked out. The timing worked out because we've been... We've been need having growing pains for eighteen months, probably. Oh, yeah. In terms of parking and this and that, but this is going to be this is going to spread things out, and I think it's going to be great. Yeah, that was my my stepdad takes Ian to most of the thing. He's a, he's we always joke. He's like, yeah, it's, it's Ian's corner man, <laughs> and uh, just so we're always uh, he's always there. And that was the first thing whenever first classes at all. I was like, man, how's the how does it look in there? Do you like it? And he's like, oh, it's great but they've already outgrown it. Yeah. And it was like day one. Oh, I was like, what? man, he's like, Oh yeah, there, there's, yeah, there's no way they could stay in there. And I was like, that's, that's an awesome problem to have. It is. And I yeah. like the eight to 12 year old <laughs> MMA class the other day, Monday, Wednesday se- section had uh cause it's a different Tuesday, Thursday uh-huh. section and a different, ju- yeah, you know, it's a jujitsu section. So 36 kids. Oh rolling. my gosh. I mean, we just gotta we have yep. to get more mats down and this this new area has like the bags will be in the back in its mm-hmm. own room and then it'll be two large mat spaces on the front where they had all the fitness stuff but it's closer to campus yep. it's right there I and, think that, I think you're gonna get a lot more college students through yeah. there and that's that's the hope and we're gonna try and establish something with like uh, I guess it's the SGA that does oh, it good. Right? That where we can do like like a five dollar drop in class or something for right. for tech students for like fitness kickboxing and yoga and Zumba oh that's good and stuff like that. So because that and that's another thing during all the kids classes there will be a fitness kickboxing. Oh cool. So if you you know yeah if your father in law would like to do fitness kickboxing <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll throw that out he'll look at me like oh, I'm insane man. right. There's but, been there's been several times I've been at Lowe's and he like <laughs> stepped out of a corner and swiped his military discount oh, yeah. and like how you doing. He told me that he was like, "Yeah, yeah, I got him the military discount." I was like, "That's so awesome!" Yeah, yeah. oh, he's he's great, man. Yeah. I love uh, just going and shaking his hand talk, and having small talk with him. No, he loves it. He loves the gym. He loves it. It's one of those where I was enjoyed taking Ian, and it seems like my stepdad and all enjoyed it. He just it really was something he liked. And then I got busy doing whenever I moved into an administrative job. I was just like, he just fully took it over and i was like now it's one of those where i'm like i don't want to step back in unless he just needs me to because i really it's like it's neat to see them have time together and all he seems like he really enjoys it good that's that's great it's cool it's a cool thing for yeah it's a cool thing for my son to have and i I think it's a good thing for uh my stepdad to have i think it's pretty cool yeah yeah okay so what to tell me about your role as an administrator. I'm not okay. even really clear with what you were doing. So, so I'm, I started off, let's see, I've been, been at uh, Arkansas Tech for 14 years. Started off, you know, standard faculty assistant professor line and uh, worked my way up through the ranks as, as a faculty member. I'm full professor now. And uh, um, when did you get full professor? Oh, gosh. Um, 
two years ago. Congrats. Yeah, that's great. It Congrats. was. Yeah, it's it's one of those where. Um, very fortunate and um it's it was one of those things where when it happened i was just like i can't believe it and um i had someone tell me once they're like it's one of the most exciting things and also one of those like uh life moments one of those midlife crisis moments where you go now what i've been working for this for 20 years you know now now what's what's next um and so it is kind of a it's a fun thing because it's like now it's kind of like world of possibility is open and so anyway so i went i went through that um uh, that whole thing um four five years ago i i got asked to lead the university on a um a strategic planning uh initiative and so i um i got a uh, course I got classroom uh, release time started working on, on that to get us through a strategic plan and um, it was a great process fun fun I think a um, lot of input from community and all of our stakeholders faculty staff students tried my best to get it to where as inclusive as possible but I got to I got the opportunity to work with um, our some consultants that uh, have a lot of respect for um, and they had you know deep uh, in uh, uh, ties to academia and on got to learn a lot from them but I got to work a lot with some of our administrators and um, it was it was a fun thing and I was like maybe this is the path I want to take uh, and and all it's one of those where I'd never thought about it until then. But I was like, I kind of like, I like this. I like the um, uh, working in, in kind of outside the classroom. I didn't think I would. Um, around that same time, I took over our uh, faculty uh, professional development stuff. So our faculty development office and was trying to grow that and doing doing a lot of stuff. So a lot of outside the classroom stuff and that um, um, after strategic planning stuff was over and all, then uh, they started moving to implement all of that. Um, and I, I kept working with the faculty development thing. But at that point, kind of I got the bug where I was like, I kind of want to work on this. I want to do more uh, more administrator stuff and a job opportunity opened up where it was a, a, a assistant vice president for student success. And it would be in our academic affairs unit. And um, that so I was like, I got to apply. Um, I have um, I have ties where, um, I've, for example, it'd be over things like our ac uh, academic advising office. Well, I'd gotten a national award for academic advising, something that I really value. Um, um, it'd That's be, advising. I do that now, and it's so it's it's tough, isn't it? It's tough, and it's but it's so important. It's, it's so rewarding when it yes. and all. It's it's one of those where it is a just one of the most underrated things a, a faculty member can do. And, you know, this whole office, it'd be over all the TRIO programs. The TRIO, TRIO is like a set of national grants that um, like uh, Upward Bound, uh, Student Support Services and the, those offices. Um, so there were a lot of other offices there, tutoring, career services. Yeah. And I was like this is perfect so uh i applied and uh was fortunate enough to get named into that role um and so for two years i was in that um and it was one of those where i really had fun those are really great offices great people um but the thing that i ran into is is at the wrong time in my life and it was one of these where if it was just me, I'd probably I'd still be doing it. Um, 
but it was one of those it took a lot of time I bet. a lot of energy and i was going home where you're any role like that whether it's my role or a dean's role or even a department chair's role um it, it, anyone that's not in academia uh, i think you would uh, you'd know if it's like middle management or you're getting that push from the top and then you're getting pushed from the people that are working under you. And you're kind of that, and that squeezed, you're always kind of squeezed by um, demands from mm-hmm. everywhere. And so, you know, you'd get frustrated, it'd be stressful and stuff like that. And I was taking it home um, and I have two young kids. And one of the things I've always prided myself on is uh, being a good dad. And I was like, I just found myself where I was like, I don't think I'm living up to what I want to be. And um, I grew up where I didn't really have a bunch of a father figure. And I was like, I, I'm, I don't want to be that. I don't want my kids to look back and go, oh, he was a good administrator. You know, I want him to be, you know, it's like, eh, it was dad. You know, I went to him for advice and went to him for help. And, um, you know, he was always there. If I, you know, have a robotics tournament, he's going to be sitting over there cheering me on. I wanted to have, I wanted to be that person. And so we've had a lot of uh, turnover in, in, uh, in our uh, administration. And I was about to get my third boss. And when I found out that I was like, this is a good time to step aside and, and all, you know, it's one of those where I'm not happy personally, not really because of anything going on, you know, work wise, just I'm not being the dad I want to be. And um, but then it was also like if they're bringing in a third person, they obviously are looking for something. Let that person come in, be able to build the office that they need. And yeah. and it's one of those. I think that's I think that's a fair thing to do for somebody is sometimes kind of go this is yours shape it you know this is it i'm i'm not going to get in your way i'll help out in any way i want to see be successful but i'm I'm taking a step back so that you can be and so that was that was it so i was like yeah i think this is time to step out and so i stepped out went back to faculty and it was immediately seen as the best best thing i could have done so for example uh so july one i step out uh step out of that role um and so i just spent the second half of my summer i'm i'm hanging out with the kids well my youngest uh, son eli he's always been the mama's kid Ian's always been just connected by the hip to me and all. not much has changed for that. But Eli's always been kind of mom's kid. Well, um, first day of school comes. It's been six weeks since I stepped out of the role. And I was like, hey, buddy, you know, and, hey, Eli, do you want to uh, who do you want to take you to school on the first day? And he looks at me like I'm crazy because you and I was like. What, what i didn't think that i thought i thought he'd be like mommy i was like okay okay that's I was, I was shocked but it's one of those where i was like immediately i was like this i made the best decision um i can step back in and be a good dad and so i'm picking them up from school several days a week now um you know we're we're talking about stuff um that you know and having conversations that you maybe wouldn't have had exactly and it's it's just perfect and ian um, when he got into this is he's in sixth grade this has been his best school year and I don't think it's all just because of rah rah dad but it was one of those where all of a sudden I like last year I could not tell you I know one of his teachers names and it was because uh, uh, her mom worked for me in my previous office that was it 
I, yeah. I don't know any of their names. This year, um, I went and pushed for certain teachers. I'm pushed for certain things. I was involved again, and I just wasn't. And so it was one of those where I was like, oh my gosh. So several times, like the, I mean, all the time, I'd be like, this stuff would happen this semester. I'm like, thank goodness, I made the best choice. Um, I do miss working uh, with uh, the staff that I had. They they are they are wonderful and they do such good stuff for students. And it's one of those where you know I wish I could be you know pushing for them and all behind the scenes kind of thing. Um, but I know other people will. Yeah, it's not like it's not like you know I step out and no one's there. People recognize the institution it. will stay exactly. Place. It was yeah. here a hundred years before I was in that position. Yeah. It'll be here after I stepped out. But it was one of those where um, it was tough. It was tough to kind of make that call. Um, but at the same time, I was like. At the end of the day, it's not a title that, you know, that I want to be at, uh, seeking or money or anything else. It's like, I want to be a good dad. And um, I think that's that's one of those that I can kind of, uh, you know, be kind of proud of. Uh, it's, it's one of those decisions that, you know, I didn't know that you could get proud over a decision like that. But eh, I'm kind of pr- proud of it. it. It was a hard one to make. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Then, you know, because you do get tied up. Academia is the worst. We have more titles and uh, portfolios. And that was one of the things where someone uh, asked me whenever I was stepping out. They're like, don't you want to keep some of your portfolio? I was like, dear Lord, I don't want to think about it that way. You know, I don't want to think about like this is my collection and it's on my resume. I I just I don't like to think about that stuff. But we do in academia. It's like a measurement. Yeah. And then when I stepped out of the role, um, I've been very fortunate to make uh, connections with folks at other schools. And immediately you started hearing the offers come. But, you know, that was and that was one of those where all of a sudden it was like, you know, here's a bigger school or uh, this or, a you know, a, a opportunities to apply for, uh, you know, positions with greater, you know, greater portfolios or whatever. And, you know, more money. And it was one of those where that then all of a sudden can be kind of was like, I, I struggled to make this decision and I'm proud of it. Then all of a sudden you get something else offered to you that you go, that, that'd be awesome. It'd be in a, you know, this or that. And I'd, we'd make this much money and all. And then you're like, no, I got to I got to I got to stay where I'm I got to stay where I'm at because I know what's right. But, man, it was like it was a test. It really was a test. And um Man, it's been great being back in the classroom. Students are wonderful. I feel like, uh, you know, you get caught up out with the stuff outside the classroom. I I, I found that I measured success through metrics. Uh, You know, I'd look at one, you know, retention rates. How, how much is how you know how many sophomores have we kept and are they making progress and you know how, what are their earned credit hours and are we increasing this average and blah, 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 all that stuff assessment and all the assessment stuff where you're just you know you're it's just metric after metric after metric and I could rattle off numbers till you know for hours and bore everyone to death but it is one of those where that was what I looked at. The other metric that our metric I looked at was just my staff and kind of like, how are they doing? Are they able to do their job? Are they happy? What are, yeah, what are their complaints and concerns? Is it something that I can affect and all? And I think, I think I did a good job with some, some of the offices. I think some of the others, I, I, I I wish I could have done more. Um, I feel like I, I, I 
you know, I think I would approach it differently if I'd gone into it now and all and just with hindsight and stuff, you grow from it. Um, but it's one of those where, um, you know, you have those metrics that are always in your mind. You're always thinking about that stuff going back into the classroom. Yeah, you have your learning goals and your outcomes and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, are you know, are the students learning? Are they, you know, are you making a substantial difference in their education? And you know, are you helping them? Are they coming? Are they are they leaving better than when they came in? Ta da! And it was it was really cool. So, for example, one of my um, I taught two general psych sections this semester as uh, as. Kind of getting back into my 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 feet under me, <laughs> and one of the things we talked about was um, therapy. We all, you know, and it's I've always given a therapy lecture and talked about different stuff, but this one I was like, I'm going to approach it more from a consumer point of view. What are the types of therapy that are out there? What are some? What are the differences? What would be the strengths and weaknesses for these? So if you were to go in and you you were you know go okay, I'm seeking marriage therapy. What would that look like? And if you go in and you ask these questions, what would that look like from that where you'd go, this person could help me or no, you know, or I'm depressed or I have anxiety or I have, you know, or I'm uh, having career problems. And it was really funny. I got a uh, letter from a student um, about a week later that was like said, I'm so glad you did that. Um, I've been really scared to go to therapy. Now I know kind of what to do. And you normal you normalized it for me, and I was like, "Holy cow, man! That that could have made a difference in this student's life. That that's like, you know, what a gift to have that." And so it's like moving it where it's like all of a sudden you're having that direct impact on somebody's life. Wow, that's, that's, big. that's well, huge. yeah. And it's just so it's been one of those semesters. Like I feel like I'm getting back in touch with my kids. I feel like my marriage is better. I feel like I'm you know helping students been cool yeah what you're winning oh yeah and so it was one of those where it's i've been very fortunate tech has given me more than i could have ever asked for you know i came here seeking a job and i've been put you know i've been given all kinds of opportunities for myself to learn and grow and gain skills and uh, use those skills to help other people i've been given all kinds of opportunity to be around really really smart people that i have a ton of respect for i mean you named off several neil harrington and uh you know aaron claire and billy reader and all those those are people i look up to and i and and i'm really really thankful to have people like that in my life um, so I've been I've been very blessed. And so to have that opportunity to go back in the classroom and all it was. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't ask for anything. I better. thought that I heard that basically about the same time you and Woods were yep. both going back to teaching, I believe. Or, well, I found out about it about the same time. I don't know if it's it we, we announced. But, uh, I think we both turned in our letters, I think, the same week. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so that was kind of funny. So whenever we were like, I told him, he told me at the same time and we're both like, wow. And, um, you know, it's been fun seeing him. I see that same kind of spark that I'm feeling and all. He, he, he looks alive. It's, yeah. it really is. It, you know, you get that middle management role. It's a really tough one to play. And, um, I think it's, I think we put people in these positions and we expect them to be there for a long, long time sometimes. And sometimes I think that's good. I think some people just thrive in those roles, but I think a lot of times um, it eats you up. It can really eat you up. And because you do get squashed on all sides and 
I, I'm one of these people that I take problems with me. Um, I have a colleague that's a dean. He's able just to leave it at work. He can go home. He can garden. He can do stuff. And he's just he's back to normal. You know. And I'm like, I, I wish I, I I take all that. So if you know if I I hear that. You know, I have a, a, you know, a direct report that was, you know, in the hospital. I'm stressed to death, you know, and it's one of those. I don't I just don't deal well with that. And it's like yeah. in having that personality and having it at the same time that you're busy with two young kids and my, you know, my wife's getting uh, close to being out of grad school and all she's finishing up her doctorate and all that. And so she's worried about her stuff and all this thing. It's like, ah, oh, yeah. I, yeah. This is not, this is not the right time of my life. And, you know, maybe later, uh, you know, move back into something like that. But right now I'm, I'm enjoying where I'm at. That's key. It is. It really is. To the well-lived life. Well, and too, so like side note on that. So like I actually, so we were going to podcast Friday and I was like, hey, I kind of have something on my schedule that was not on my (laughs) schedule when I previously, but I've I've actually been seeing a therapist. Yeah. um, Who we both know, Fern. Oh, yeah. But, and it's been great. Oh, that's good. I actually like was... uh, and doubled up on sessions with her one time. Really? And just was like, because she just has a clear afternoon. I'm like the last person she sees. But it's been great to just like, because they're, you know, with the career challenges yeah. or the pressure to teach that extra class or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this gym move, purchase, prolonged experience. Oh, yeah. And man, there's just been a lot of stuff. And, and, and trying to just like do things I want to do and balance all of it, like this podcast or playing oh, yeah. music without other pressures from work or the Martial Arts Association of, yep. are you going to come to here? Are you going <laughs> to teach that? And it's like, oh, now I'm going to do these other things, guys, but no hard feelings. Right. You know? And it's so hard. Well, Saying this, no yes. is horrible. In our society, you can't say no to anything. Yeah. It's, yeah, you know, we just keep piling more and more stuff on people all the time. And yeah, you have to please everybody. Yeah. Well, I, you had, so you, yep. we, us going around to get some boxing shows and stuff over the years. Oh, yeah. You had, you had told me that you had, you had had oh, some. Yeah. So, and I remember that um, maybe you tell your classes because Cora had you mm-hmm. in class and I remember she remarked on it, but yep. more people need to hear that. So it's not, Absol- you know, it's absolutely. not a stigma. I, I, I was about to say, I, and I don't, I don't, I don't normally talk about this, but I'll share um, and all. I, I share that I go, I've been to therapists uh, and all because I think that's important. I think it's one of those, it can help you with, you know, mental and emotional disorders. It can also help with just average everyday stressors. It can, like I said earlier, I mean, it can help with a marriage. It can help. I think it can help in so many ways. Um, it, it's, it's the equivalent of going to, you know, any doctor. It's the equivalent it, it of is. going to a, a chiropractor or whoever, Which whatever I, yeah. helps. And I think we all are willing to jump in and go to see somebody like that. But then all of a sudden it's like we talk about our, our mind and it's like all of a sudden it's, you know, people get worried and there is a stigma there. I, um, in my family, there um <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> on both sides of my on my family, there uh, is a history of some uh, emotional disorders, depression, anxiety, and I was fortunate to get all of all of those genetics just piled into and uh, into my brain. And so, um, when I was a teenager, I, I started having um, uh, panic attacks and depression, r- pretty severe, um, and. 
um, the first panic attack I had, I thought I was losing my mind. Uh, it really was a, a terrifying thing. I, and I remember where I was, I was at, um, this was back, you know, pre-internet and um, uh, pre anything that you could look up. Like nowadays, you know, you could Google and figure uh, it out. Web, WebMD. Yeah, yeah. And so I, all of a sudden I'm, I'm at um, uh, Hastings. And um, rest in peace. yeah, I know. Rest in peace. I miss I miss our Hastings. I was at Hastings and I'm uh, looking for something to watch. I was by myself and all of a sudden I felt it was almost like an out of body experience. It was I felt like I was watching myself and I, th- I was like, I felt like I was losing my mind. I thought I was like, if I make it out of here, I, I'm, you know, I praise the Lord because I, I just thought I thought I was dying. I thought something was wrong. And um, from their depression symptoms and everything else, it was just it was like a snowball where it just got worse and worse and worse. And I'd already had issues with it being young uh, when I was young. Um, I was lucky. My um, I started having a lot of um, stomach issues right after that. It's thrown up all the time. Just all kinds of weird symptoms. And my parents thought like, oh, my gosh, you know, he's he's got cancer or something and all meanwhile I'm, I'm unraveling and so they take me to a doctor doctor gives sends me to a specialist specialist like we're gonna look at your stomach and all but i think you're having uh panic attacks and i think you have depression and it was like what and also he he looked me over but he got me into a therapist and uh got me some antidepressants and stuff um it was one of those that it took a while it, it took i mean it was meeting with the therapist for a while and other things but it, it turned things around. I, I would not, uh, I would not have made it to college if it hadn't been through some of that stuff, um, because it did work me through a lot of of issues. It's it's amazing how we get set in ways of thinking that are so opposite of reality, um, and just so um it it can bog you down it can make you where you do things that are just it's not it's not an efficient way to do things and it doesn't it's not helpful so you know one of the things i i have problems with i grew up really poor and so like for example so so one of the things i i i I have it where it's like if i have something good um i don't want to change it and so, for example, like um, applying for the job, applying for the thing, it was so hard for me to do it because I'm like, what if I do it and it doesn't work out? Like, you can go back to faculty. Yeah, but, you know, you know I think of all of the reasons because it's like I have it right now. I don't want to let go of it. I don't. It's a weird thing. Or when we were looking for a new house, like I don't want another house. I got my house. I got, you know, don't don't make me that you're i'm scared to death of making those changes so those are those things that you know it's not it's not an appropriate way to think and working with a therapist to work through those helps so much where you know instead of thinking about things that could go wrong why don't you think about things that go right oh yeah why don't i do that that? yeah it's, it's good to have someone from that outside to reframe it's the same thing of like going and exercising and bringing in a personal trainer and they're like why are you lifting like that you're gonna hurt your back oh yeah I thought I I was. Why didn't I think of that? Or, you know, oh, hmm, I guess I should look in a mirror. You know, those those are good things to have all. um, So I went through all of that, um, got out of it. Things kind of went good, got through uh, school, grad school, all this stuff. Um, It was after uh, my second child was born. um, I started having problems where I just found myself moving away from everybody. 
I was just isolating myself. And I just, I got one of the worst, um, worst case of depression I, I, I could ever imagine. I, if it ever happens again, I hope it's not even close to that. Because it was one of those, I was in, I got into a really dark place. And it was one of those, it was one of those things that I knew I'd been through it, but I'd never been through something that severe and and what was weird is i felt like i couldn't reach out to talk to anyone about it which is the dumbest thing but at the same time it was like i almost couldn't do it and so i um my wife one day just asked me it's like are you okay no no i'm not you know and she's like are you know are you gonna hurt yourself i'm like no i couldn't do that with the kids she's like okay we need to get you help. And um, I'd reached out to a therapist before when I was having just some just anxiety stuff. And so I reached out to her and I was like, I need help. I, can I come back in? And she did. She brought me back in and started working with me. And it helps. It, it really did. And it was one of those things I needed. And to this day, I mean, it's one of those where I've pulled myself out of that. But there are I feel like I'm still finding ways to try to overcome um it, it's amazing how something like that can really transform your life yeah and how hard it is to pull out of it so the one uh the one that i was thinking about the other day i was like i've i've been able to kind of correct a lot of stuff i'm making connections with people um i uh, i'm able to work with my kids i'm able to do all this stuff but like exercise, I know I need to do it, but it's still, it's one of those where finding the motivation and things like that, where that was something I just did. And I had to start, I, I, I own a gym. Yeah. And I like, I mean, like I said earlier, like I've had to start, I got, I got a joint membership with Cora at St. Mary's. She already had one, mm-hmm. but I just got to go there and do cardio now. And I ha- like, it's, I had to build that into oh, yeah. to my, my wellness plan. And that's what it's like. <clears throat> it's so funny. I've found it where it might, I think I'm doing a lot of stuff, but that's the one thing I'm like, okay, I got to get going. I feel, you know, and it's like, cause I think that's, that's really the last thing for me, but it's taken a long time. I, the one, the funny thing is I've, I've only talked to just a couple people uh, about this, uh, this issue and on the, and being in both of them were like, you, you were depressed. You, you hide it. Well, and, and I'll be, and it is one of those where I could surround myself with work and that's kind of a weird thing, but it was like, I, I could, you know, I guess some people, you know, they may turn to other like self-medication and all. I don't drink. I don't do any drugs. I don't do anything like that. I don't even eat meat. I, I don't do yeah. any, I don't do anything fun. Uh, and also, but, but I can work. And so I would just kind of jump in. So I could spend hours on a spreadsheet. It, it kept me away from everything else. You know, it kept me away from thinking about stuff. And so it was one of those where I kind of turned to work. So I've, I've got a great resume. But it, it was one of those, what was that coming at the expense of? And um, this is the first time in my really adult life that I've over the last few months, I've said no to a lot of stuff. Or my, I do too. No. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for saying yes to this. No, absolutely. But it is one of those, where it's, it's, no, I have to say no a lot. And I don't, it, and it's hard. And it's also one of those where it's easy to turn to that. But I know too, where it's like, that could that could set me back 
you know and for real that's that's what i that, i mean so many similarities yeah. with what you're talking about i i what's so crazy is like i did have some anxiety attacks and oh, they, yeah. they can't they the first six of them came on in my sleep Ooh, that's terrifying yes and it's a thing and it maybe could be related to some sleep apnea which mm-hmm. i've am you know losing some weight to kind of if like i have a couple more yeah. it's like the circumference of my neck and like some uh-huh. neck some neck issues and right. been seeing a neck specialist chiropractic care and stuff like that to mitigate but it's such a weird thing like i've thought about it several times because it's come on in my waking hours a, co- a few uh-huh. times as well and it just like creeps and it it's like here's how i felt it's like it comes on you're like what the fuck is that <laughs> it goes away and you're left questioning like what yeah. What was that? Oh yeah. Like where did that come from? Like why what see why mine, did that happen? See, mine I was feeling I was starting to feel better, kind of depression issues were were subsiding. And I had this horrible few days of asthma attacks. And I got that under control, got my asthma back, and I was like, all right, it's under control. That's cool. And then I started having panic attacks where all of a sudden it was like, and it would happen frequently for a little while. And I was like, is this like some kind of weird immune system thing? I, yeah, I have and psoriasis I, and, and I have okay. flare ups and I've wondered what yeah. sort of connections there are with just like your body just freaking out. And about see, I stuff. had it where when I was at worst depression issues, I had uh, hives uh, or not hives, uh, shingles. Wow. Um, and so I was like, what is going on? I was like, I thought just my body was, and I'm like, so it's one of those where I'm like, is this just a inflammatory immune system? In a, you know, is that integrated disease. here? I don't know. And, and so it was one of those where I've always been curious, like what's, what's causing this? Is there something with it? But it was, it was a tough, it was a tough, yeah, tough few years. Um, but you know, it's like you come out stronger. Um, the, the, I think that I feel like, I was able to, I don't know, I was able to get involved easier with stuff. Like, um, uh, for example, if, you know, if there was a, a cause, you know, like a political or hey, let's help homelessness or whatever, I felt like I could like jump into something like that. I feel like now it's like if I do, it's like almost I'm almost emotionally vulnerable. And so I almost have to tune out stuff some. Like, I know today it's like it's impeachment day, oh, you man. know, and I know that's everywhere. I was just kind of like, OK, I want to see the news. I want to know what's going on. And then I got to turn it off. It's like I feel like otherwise I just get it just wears me down. I know. And, I'll, and I'm like, sucks you in. And yeah. And I'm like, and I used to not be like that. I used to not just get worn down by stuff. But now it, it can. And it's just like, OK, I can do it a little bit, but I, I got to kind of no limits. And so I'm like, I feel like it's kind of changed me on some of that where i'm like i i didn't know limits that i have now and now it's like i kind of know where the i'm I'm having to find where those limits are and it's kind of a bizarre thing because i I was always kind of like a force of will where it's kind of like i'm gonna i'm gonna just do this if i have this article or a book or whatever i don't i don't i don't need extra time i'll just do it man i'll just i've always had that approach and now i'm like no i need to i need to set I need to set limits. Logistics. And I, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and that's, that's new to me. And so I'm like, it, it's, I'm kind of like, I feel like I'm learning myself a little bit again, 
And that's, yeah. Anyway, it's just kind of an odd thing. And it's one of those, that's been the weirdest thing to come out of all of is kind of finding who I am afterwards. It yeah. is almost like I, I have thought about it. It's almost like a shedding your skin sort of. Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like it. it is, in many ways for me, it's been like uh, almost like a an identity crisis in a way or like a re-identity crisis like you change over time and sometimes you maybe even change a lot all at once or you have a lot of variables in Mm -hmm. your life that change or you have a lot of stress that moves and uh, you know right and that's been or you just you look at things differently your awareness changes in, in relation to your growth and and it can be real scary sometimes oh it really like existential crisis level exactly and you know, that's just like, I just call it a wellness plan. I've just tried yeah. to do all, eat better, exercise more, more positive thoughts. And that, that, that right there is a big thing. Like, um, you know, if there's something negative going, I can understand people want to complain, gripe, whatever. That's cool. But there's got to be a limit. It's like people that are, that's all they are. Just kind of move, move past them. You know, I can't be around that. And, and it's one of those where, I, I I used to have tolerance <laughs> for that, and I just don't now. It really it sucks me in. It, re- it really is something that um, that affects me. And I wonder. I've thought this too. I over time from like uh, mm-hmm. I would say that when I was eighteen years old, I had like uh, the lowest level of empathy <laughs> for the most <laughs> number of things. Uh-huh. But over time like i mean yeah you gain high levels of empathy and certain things that you would think about that you yeah. used to not empathize about make you cry right then mm-hmm. and i think that factors into some of it too is like as we become more empathetic it's almost like carrying the weight of the world oh on yeah your shoulders yeah. when you look at some like like just i tell core this sometimes with like just i read the most horrible shit in history all the time me mm-hmm. massacre all these massacres and the comanche all these things yeah and I'm just like, and I dream about it. Yeah. And it's just like, sometimes that knowledge is like overwhelming in that, like, because I know all of this horrible shit. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to do with it sometimes. Well, and that's what, um, I actually talked about that with my therapist once and, um, she gave me a really good reframing of it. Cause I was talking about, you know, I feel like I, I, I feel like, uh, all day long when I'm teaching, it is one of those where I'm talking about depression and anxiety and divorce and this and that, all the just negative stuff. And she's like, but isn't there, isn't there good stuff you could talk about? And um, we kind of t- talked about it and it, it occurred to me. So like, for example, take something really bad, you know, the um, Milgram experiment. And I don't know if you've been familiar with this. Is that the shock experiment? Yep. And yes, so, you great. know, Milgram sets this up where, you know, bringing in people, they think they're part of a learning study. They're, um, they're, actually, they're actually seeing how much would a person be willing to shock another individual with somebody Which just setting quite their, a bit, right? Yeah. And, yeah. They, and, and, you know, and it's like over, you know, over half of the people end up going all the way up to the lethal level and so we uh and all and it's one of those where they show there's all there's video of it and all this and they use this to explain you know the people's conformity uh you know that people are willing to obey someone that is a you know uh, a person of authority and all because they had a, a researcher in there saying you know you must continue continue you know this is uh, this is you got to keep going on and why wouldn't the people just get up and go i'm not doing this 
but you know, one of the things that came about was, yeah, yeah, it's over half of the people did this. But what about that 40%? We never talk about those 40%. What about the ones that were willing to stand up and all? Those are the people that we usually look at in places of history. So it's like, yeah, we have, you know, this yeah. horrible genocides and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, like in German history, you know, Holocaust, we focus on that for good reason. But we also but we don't talk about people. And I'm probably mis- mispronouncing the name. Is it um, Bonhoeffer? He was a he was a priest. I believe he was I believe is Methodist. Um, he uh, was from Germany, came to the United States and he worked in areas that were uh, in segregated areas. White guy from Germany. He's working in segregated areas because he saw it as a moral wrong. Yeah. Germans it, hated slavery. Did they not? Yeah. Uh, it's the institution. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And then, so then when Hitler comes in into power, he could have stayed in the United States. He's like, no, they need me over here. He goes back into there, preaches against all the stuff that's going on there. And they, and he ends up being executed for it, but he wow. stood up to him. And they even said like, you know, when he was going into his execution, he was, he was smiling on his way in because it was like he, that was his, he was fulfilling his mission of, you know, going in and standing up to what was wrong. We don't we don't put enough emphasis on the positive things like that. Um, and so it was like one of those where I'm like, oh, it almost kind of changed the way that I thought about teaching because it was like, why am I bringing this up? Why am I focusing on the negative? We need to talk about the negatives. And, yeah, we're I'm worried about those 60 percent that would shock people. But what about the 40 percent? You know, that's that's one of those. And then also. How could I teach my class so that they would be part of that 40%? That it's the, yes. you know, how do you That's stand up? Was... Because then all of a sudden now these folks, they may not be in a position where they're going to shock people or be in a Holocaust, but they probably will be in a workplace where they may see sexual harassment or they might be, you know, they might have it where they need to stand up and tell someone, um, you know, look, you need to go to therapy or something like that. Those hard things as adults that we hate doing, but we need to do. That a lot of people just stand back and go, oh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I know. And that that is a, along the lines of, yeah. of some things that I've struggled with is like growing up uh, around racism, xenophobia, yeah. homophobia, and then being a 32 year old adult where like, mm-hmm. I, I, I cannot. Yeah condone that. Oh, absolutely. And then to have people that I like love and care about who are that way. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's good. Yeah, where do you, yeah. Where do you draw the line on, on some of that? And it's, it's hard. And it's one of those, those are the things that our students are going to face. Why don't we teach them how to face some of that? And, you know, and it's one of those, they may not face it the same way I do it or you do it, but at least they would have some skills that they could, they could try and they can grow from. And, and that's kind of the same thing with history. It's kind of, there's some horrible stuff. But focus on some of those those stories and and also even if it's a negative thing, this is the outcome that was produced by it. How do we kind of avoid that in that the is, future? That's my kind of my thesis is yeah. You know, hey, let's let's talk about this yeah. so we we know and so we can oh yeah we can. This is the stereotypical history answer is stop the past from repeating itself through exactly. not forgetting what happened. Right. Well, and it's one of those when, you know, it's, you know, like right now, you know, like I said, we're in impeachment day and all, and we are kind of at this weird crossroads moment where, you know, it seems like everything's getting more and more divided and things like that. I think there's a, there's a, there's a sense that a lot of people would look at this and go, oh, 
we've never had it this way. And it's like, no, we've had it this way a bunch. You know, I mean, it's it's one of those where, you know, before Lincoln, it was pretty divided yeah. as a country. Yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, when FDR was president, it was pretty well divided. He went to stack the Supreme Court. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if Trump wanted said we're gonna get you know we're gonna go from you know what seven or whatever we're gonna have we're gonna make it twelve? People would flip out. FDR made that uh, proposal and it flipped everybody out. It's like we we've seen stuff like this before. We've overcome it, but we, I think a lot of people don't have that sense of history of going. No, we've been through it. We'll, we'll, we can stand up. We can do this. You know, and I'm not saying that. And I don't want to make it political. People can be for or against Trump, whatever. I'm not. I'm not going to push that on them. I'm, I'm far from a political scientist, but it is one of those where we've seen this before. We've seen stuff like this. Uh, yeah. We've seen, you know, whether he's being, you know, pushed out or whether he's in the right or whatever. Both sides, it's happened before, and all. But how do you handle that? And how do you how do you kind of make sense of it? That's that's stuff they need to know. It's interesting too because I struggle with this. Like I just tell people, or a lot of people have asked me about this, and I was like, I really don't go past two thousand one. <laughs> And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm yep. like, yep. I stopped trying to interpret things yeah. that occurred after that date. For the most part, I will commentate on yeah. some things and look into them and read about them. But I, and the internet helps, but it also, it, it can cloud things, you know? Oh yeah. Saying? So it's, you know, it's, yeah, we're in a, it's, it's one of those where I'm really curious how people will interpret what we're going through me too we're in a weird time you know i mean right now we i could pick up my phone and have face-to-face conversation with anyone around the world that's odd you know that's like we've never had that level of sophistication i mean this is a fifteen hundred dollar computer basically i'm I'm carrying around i'm tossing it around on tabletops and keeping it in my back pocket sitting on it and all that we've changed the world in such a radical way under in such a short amount of time. Uh, you know, I really am curious what the long-term consequences are. Um, how people will look at how we're, we're treating this technology right now, how what the implications, sh- you know, are. how it's shaping us, how it's shaping politics, how it's shaping medicine and our personal health and everything else. It's 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 going to be it's going to be interesting to look back. It's going to be a really it, it's going to be interesting to see how what people think of this. And just the, you know the the level of giving or being you know giving up your privacy. Yeah, smartphones. I mentioned so I mentioned this morning. They're listening to us oh, right now. Right now. Yeah. I mentioned this morning I I uh, said um, my mother-in-law is in town. And she's like, so what are you guys doing today? And I was like, well, I don't know about, you know, my wife. I was like, but um, I said, I, I've got to go on a podcast. She's like, a podcast? And I go, yeah, I'm doing this podcast thing. And so I said the word podcast two or three times. I got online to do last minute Christmas shopping. Everything suggested on Amazon was all streaming and broadcasting and podcast equipment. Well, and too, I'm like, probably like when I said, I mess, maybe messaged you yeah. and said, hey, you still good for the podcast? Exactly. That I'm like, too. this is bizarre. And so it's one of those where we just were giving that up and even like travel. So when, you know, I, I, I only, tr- I only flew, I think once or twi- twice before uh, 2001. I, like I said, I grew up, you know, without much money. And so we didn't get to uh, travel much like that. But 
it was such an easy experience. You kind of go in, you go right to the gate, family's there with you at the gate, that kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. And all I I pay for TSA pre-check now. So it's like I'm basically going, hey, I'll give you 85 bucks and, and, and here's my Fourth Amendment rights for, you know, the next five years. Please let me get through this experience a little bit less. I got that for the first time. I got patted down on every leg of a trip. <laughs> And I don't know if it's because like my hair is long or what, but like I've never been patted down. I got patted down. Oh yeah, coming and going on both. Like I was just like, whoa. Yeah. What? Are, it's like what am I? Yeah. What? What vibe am I? Yeah. Giving here. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird one. I my wife signed up for was it global entry to get through like customs uh, better when coming from out of the country, and I'm like, it, it's wild to me that we're we're paying for a service. And asking them to, you know, do all the background checks and all necessary to get through this the, this stuff that we should take for granted. I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird time that I'm like, okay, I'm doing this for my government. I'm giving Facebook all of this and Google and you know every Amazon and everything else. I'm like, I'm just, we're just giving all this all of our data, our rights, everything. I think there's going to be a lot of repercussions from this that we'll be fighting probably the rest of our lives and all. But I think that's what a lot of historians are going to look back at and go, what were they thinking? Cyber history. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's strange. Cyber espionage, you know, I mean, there's so many. Well, think about this. I mean, you know, you and I are old enough. We, most of our childhood, we didn't have to think about this kind of stuff. Thank goodness. You might've had a little bit of it. Uh, Facebook came out whenever I was going into uh, uh, faculty. I was graduating high school when it came yep. out, and so I and I'd stayed off. I was so busy with um, with uh, grad school, MySpace didn't even make a dent. It wasn't nothing I really used or anything, and so I was kind of digital free until uh, until that point. You see, students now come, you know, that are they have to be their own PR agents. And so they're having to think, OK, if I put this out there, it, you know, it's going to be preserved forever. You can't, you know, so as a kid, you're having to think about this. So like Ian, I won't let him on social media stuff. I think it's too toxic. I don't think it's a good place for a kid. It's 12 years old. And, you know, within his grade, people are having, you know, they're, they're cyberbullying. There's all kinds of stuff going on where you're like. Guys sending messages to kids. Yes, all kinds of stuff. And but he's kind of aware of it. He's like uh, he doesn't really want it, and all. And and even his, you know, like he'll make a YouTube comment or here or yeah. there. But he's very careful about it. And I'm like the thought that my 12 year old has to be careful about making a a, a joke online because it might haunt him later on. Uh, that's something that I would have never thought of as a kid. And I'm so glad I was a stupid kid. So there's no telling what would be out there. Yeah. Well, like I told you, I mean, you know, it's making a comment like, you know, using a uh, gay in a, in a flippant way. If I'd done that as a, a kid, no one would have known about me learning like about, Oh, that's not right to say, Oh, I need to be careful about my language. Da, da, da. They wouldn't have seen the growth in that, but they could have seen me say stuff. That's just abhorrent. And all, and so it's like you have kids that are having to think about those repercussions and long-term things when they're not ready to think about that stuff. And so you see these like they're, they're like their own PR agents, and they have to spin stuff in certain way. Where I gotta I gotta put out this vibe that I'm you know this person, 
But at the same time, you know, it, it's like I don't want to put off that I'm this and I don't want to look to this. I don't know. It, it, it's complicated. It, I, it is. And how do you navigate it? Yeah. I, do you get this? I mean, that's got to stress you out as parents. Oh, yeah, totally. That that to me is the one thing I, I'm dreading the most. And uh, I, both kids have talked about, um, you know, they they've grown up in the day of the YouTuber. And so to them, it's like, you know, I'm, you know, finding uh, starting a stream of some kind, you know, whether it's on Twitch and doing gaming or something like that, that's crossed their mind a lot. And I won't let it happen because I'm like, this is one of those that people are cruel. And if you get up there and you're doing something, if you mess up or whatever, people make fun of you forever. And I'm like, that's horrible. We don't allow growth. We don't allow mistakes. We don't allow people just to be people. And and, and you would hope that people can make mistakes, fall on their face a few times, and grow from it. And we won't allow it. If you fall on your face, you have forever oh, fallen on your face because it's there you know, in history forever. And so a lot of it's kind of keeping them away from it because it's like this is – gross and also telling them talking to them about like how toxic a lot of this is that this isn't normal you know um it's not normal to act like this and kind of making it where it's like yeah this is twitter instagram this is gross stay away from it and showing them stuff like what women have to go through on there you know people just say the grossest nastiest stuff and all and saying you know this isn't right you should never act like this. So, the, you know, hopefully, hopefully they'll kind of learn how to be good digital citizens. But at some point, they're going to have someone bully them or say something gross or do something, uh, you know, make fun of them and all. And, uh, you know, you hope you train them with enough skills that they know how to navigate that. But it's it's tough. It's just it's, it's a, I mean, it really is. It's, you know, it's a war zone out there for it is online. And I don't. Yeah, I don't know. And then, you know, then you have it's like, you know, people that are, you know, professional trolls that are like, you know, that are just hunting people to make fun of and bully and all this. And you're like, so it wouldn't be someone from your school even, you know, it's like at least whenever I was a kid, if I was being picked on, it was someone that I could get away from or I knew when or where and yeah, who they no were. There's no escape. There's no escape at all. It might be someone from, you know, who, who knows where that just start making fun of you or starts following you around and so yeah it's a it's rough we we got uh ian into a a esports tournament um trying to think when that was last year i guess it was and um last few years seemed to fly by so um yeah it was last year and in it, um, there were a couple players that have their own YouTube thing, and they go to different conferences and all this, and they're the same age, and they're trying to become, you know, more bigger named YouTube people. And it was bizarre because they were just the whole time, like you know, got to get a selfie, got to get a stream, got to do this, got to. It, it was like their their world. Instead of just being a kid, they were like thinking of it as a marketing. PR thing and I was like I just want you to be a kid just be a kid don't think about all this stuff yeah it's not going to help you if anything it's just going to hurt just be a kid and I I don't think we I don't think we stress that enough to kids you know and stay offline you know it's not going to help you at all do you think that what do you and could you speak to this Mm -hmm. like what do you think about the idea of 
digital addiction or digital evil? I I think uh, it's with. I think one of those things that I think with with a lot of the way that online uh, content is delivered, it is made to be addictive. Um, so. B.F. Skinner, famous behaviorist, learning psychologist, back in you know the fifties and sixties, he uh, uh, his he published literal. He was one of these cool guys. He did a lot of research and published tons of research, but he also wrote like how how could the research be used in hu- uh, in 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 humanity in in society? And so he would uh, uh, write like so he'd have a journal article that would come out, but then he'd also write for like Women's Home Journal, <laughs> like Red Book and stuff. Like here's how here's all the stuff I'm doing with pigeons. Now here's how it could apply to your kids and how you had a parent. And so he would do like both things. Um, he got interviewed um, towards the end of his career. Uh, it was actually by Playboy magazine, but and I'll you know, just read it for the interviews. Uh, and and he, he it was in the 1970s, and it's a really good thing. But in it, he talks about he said I, I've I have several um, experiments I won't publish um, because um, they could be used by uh, the gaming industry. Um, you know, gambling at that point and all that you could just, you know, and he talked about how easy it is for people to get hooked and all if you have that right stage of reinforcement. And that was one of those that just it, 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 it to me when I read that it was in the 90s, mid 90s. And it stood out to me because I'm like, OK, first off, gambling addiction at that point, Tunica had begun in and things like that. And I was in Northeast Arkansas. And so I saw a lot of gambling addiction and I was like, okay, first off the gaming industry's got this, they've already done this, but I was starting to see like how they were doing this with like TV cycles where you would try to get people. It's like, you know, keep people through advertising. You would see that there's like, they were, you were seeing uh, media change to get people sucked in, keep them. And I'll keep them watching them th- watch through this show to in, into the next show and all. And you could start seeing some of that stuff. And you were seeing, too, like in lottery uh, stuff, people were buying more lottery tickets. They were starting to use it almost the same principles as you would a slot machine. So, you know, you scratch off and you get a certain number of wins and things like that. Uh, the house always wins on this stuff, but it, to get people sucked in. And so it, it's just always kind of in the back of my mind of, you know, how do we do this? How do we how do we get people and keep them there? And, you know, and, and how is that being used on us? And when um, when I first time I saw um, uh, Facebook, it was the first thing I thought of was it's an endless scroll. It goes on and on and on. And it's like, and now, you know, you don't even see it in sequential order now, you know? So it's like, it's, you're always getting this hit stuff with from stuff. yesterday. And yeah. it's hard. And it was one of those where, so going into that, knowing this, knowing that it's like, this is the way stuff works in the world. I, I, I went into this not being naive. It is still hard to put down the Facebook feed. You get in it and you're just stuck. Um, and so it's like, I, I think, uh, yeah, uh, internet addiction and things like that, it, it does exist. Um, Brendan Kelly from, uh, is a, a musician from the a band, the Lawrence Arms. He said in an interview once uh, that looking at your phone is the sigh for this generation. So it's like, you know, it used to, you'd be bored, you know, sitting there. <sighs> and people would be immediately kind of, oh, hey, I'll talk to that guy. They're bored at all. Now it's like, I'm bored. Look at my phone. Well, no one's going to approach you when you're looking at your phone because it might be something serious, you know? So it's like, we've isolated ourselves. We're stuck with it. Anytime you're bored, it's like, I can have this instant 
instant dopamine hit of of getting new yeah. information and all and it's it's not healthy it's not it's not healthy at all and it is one of those that you struggle with your kids because you know you know my kids they they like it they like you know youtube they like watching all their all the stuff and it but it's it's endless and it's always going to have a new show and it's always going to have an algorithm to keep them there and also it is like you're fighting it, it's a it's a it's a you know at, at least with tv it would go off at midnight you know it's like the you know, star spangled banner would play and they'd go to static it's endless and and it's made to keep you there as long as possible and so it is it's one of those dangerous things and then of course games you know like uh all the you know a lot of european countries are looking at laws on um some games like loot boxes you know it's like it, it get rid of the loot boxes that uh, in some of the games because that that's a, a, an addictive cycle where i gotta get if i just get this one i might get this this perk i might get this skin i might yeah. get this whatever you know i need to i need to do this you see people spending hundreds and thousands of dollars based off of on loot boxes and it's like these aren't even real this isn't real it's never going to impact your life but i've you know done that mess with uh was it clash of clans or one of those yeah, stupid yeah, games Cora did one the harry potter game oh yeah you get hooked on it where yeah. you're like oh man i gotta, I gotta, get, I gotta get this next one i gotta get this next one and you know and it's like ah, it's only a couple bucks you know well you know that adds up and, and well, it buying is buying apps or whatever yep. it, 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 it that could know no oh, yeah yeah and so it is one of those where i think i think that that is dangerous i really do and it's one of those where i would love to see if there was going to be any kind of you know standards and uh, uh things like that set on an industry i think that would be it but unfortunately i don't think you know i don't think there's many politicians that are smart enough to do it i mean you look at the, you look at our average politician i mean it's like it was a it was a huge you know big win to have uh was a uh, alexandria uh ocaso or uh, cortez uh, or yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah cortez she was um and uh, you know it's one of those where to me it was like oh my god someone young yes. yay i mean when you look at our you know it's like trump over 70 biden over 70 you know bernie over 70 elizabeth warren over 70. all of the front runner people are all over 70 aged out there it's horrible and it's like they didn't grow up through this they don't they're not yeah. they're not seeing the effects that this has on people they're not sitting at a kid's basketball game seeing every parent stare at their phone the instead yeah. of watching a, a, a game they're not they're not doing that and i doubt many of them uh, you know go you know how many do you and Cor uh, cora when you're watching tv at night scrolling your phone as you're watching sometimes. it sometimes oh yeah i find myself doing that it's like sometimes. if i'm watching a netflix show i'm on my phone we joke about time. it we it's joke horrible about it. and it's like i don't i don't i doubt that that is going on with a lot of these people i don't think they see this real impact and you know there um there are experts that are out there that are studying this that are talking about how bad it can be and i don't think it's being listened to at all i don't think yeah. it's i don't think it's being seen as a health crisis and i think it is i think i think our mental health is being affected by this and um yeah i don't i don't know what we'll see but in the meantime you know we're getting you know the the companies are getting bigger and bigger it's going to be harder and harder to break them up it's going to be harder and harder to to shut it down i mean look at something like amazon it's like the majority of trillion what, dollar company yeah 
And the majority of web pages that you go to are hosted on Amazon servers. It's like they're they're a web company. They're 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 an information company as much as they are a product company. And it is unbelievable, you know, Google. Google should, you know, I mean, you look at that and you go, these are so powerful. How are we ever going to get the the regulations Branding to help people? In. Yeah. I don't know. And uh, but yeah, it's 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 pretty rough. It's it's a kind of a scary one. The when you mentioned the digital evil, the the thing thought about that many times. If evil exists, how does it manifest in the oh, digital yeah. world? Well, the the scary part, you know, there's been a lot of a uh, lot of studies, you know, in, in psychology that have looked at groupthink and things like that. And when you have someone that is anonymous, they they are more prone to you know do things that are harsher. Um, and all, they, they put people in where they could uh, in different studies where you could blast white noise at somebody. And if you put them in a mask at all, they've, and they've tried different uh, different uh, settings with this. But if you make it where they're anonymous, they're more likely to, to max. They're more likely to blast louder white noise and, you know, more likely to uh, shock and do different stuff like that. And all, that's exactly what we have. We have it where you're completely anonymous or you can be. And so you can be cruel, and um, and I think people are more prone to it. Um, you know, when you have that, you know, uh, large groups, people fall into that diffusion of responsibility. It's going to be very hard for someone to stand up and go, "Stop it! No, this isn't right." Yeah. And more than likely, people are going to gang up on them. You know, I, you know, um, this is one of those that always kind of haunted me. That whole diffusion of responsibility when uh, I was in grad school. My wife worked at a, a school district that was way out in rural Mississippi. And um, one day her superintendent went to um, uh, Tupelo, to, to Walmart, to uh, uh, get some basic necessity stuff. So she's going to, uh, she walks into the Walmart, uh, shopping like normal. She needs to go get um, uh, some underwear of some kind, you know, bra or something. And so, of course, like any any well-respecting husband does they go uh, go, i'll meet you outside i'm going back to the truck (laughs) you know her husband leaves you know which you know i'm sure you've done and i've done and i'm not going to the women's underwear section i'm not i'm not going to get called a pervert (laughs) you know so (laughs) you know so he he leaves she's over there all of a sudden she feels this punch she's like right in the middle of her back and she's like whoa what what just happened she thought someone fell into her turns around it's a woman with a knife Start stabbing at her. And she's fighting for her life, literally for her life. And she's fighting. This woman has a butcher knife. She's stabbing at her, slashing at her. Gets cuts all, oops, sorry. Gets cuts all over her face. Gets stabbed. And all. she's pushing the knife down the whole time. Well, it's pushing it into her legs and all, oh getting into her stomach, all kinds of stuff. Blood everywhere. And she proceeds to fight, screaming, you know, help, help, help for a while. Finally, someone hits the woman uh, and someone holds her down cops come well when they look back at the tape this is several minutes long literally a group of people are around her but no one's willing to step in and it's one of those where when when you look at it that that diffusion responsibility concept these people are experiencing it like who's going to step in and especially who's going to step in when when you have the odds of in coming from martial arts you know if you're fighting someone with a knife you're getting cut yes you do not step into a knife fight. And it's one of those where this is before everybody carried guns and open carry and this and that and all. And so it was one of those where all of a sudden it's like, I can't do anything. I'm stepping back. Plus, 
you have it where it's like someone else will do it someone else will do it surely the cops are called they actually saw on the video people stepping over the blood that was all over the floor to continue shopping and so it was like there's a there's a there's a dark part of that diffusion responsibility that people will just kind of continue the roles and stay out of it and when you have that where you know now with all of the you know what is it cancel culture and people just the the trolls and the different stuff you have a group of people start responding people are going to kind of go in in line and it's going to be really hard for someone to step up because you it may not be coming at you with a knife but people might if you stand up and say hey stop this is this is ridiculous you know can you ban these folks on your page or whatever you might get targeted yeah and so, I mean, it can be a, it can be a, such an ugly place. I I, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those. I I don't know what the fix is other than just staying off of it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's everywhere. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, your smart TVs. It's it. <laughs> and, and 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 it's it's disguised so often as convenience. You know, like oh yeah, like my and upgrade to this mm-hmm. and you just it's a it's an ongoing cycle oh yeah like and at said. the same time it's so cool you know it's like i'm sorry i got the new iphone it's awesome the, the, and you know, it's like <laughs> so you have it where it's like both sides where it is yeah. it is the coolest thing you can have if i i in the mid 90s if you told me i would have this in my pocket i would be so excited and i still am it is amazing to have it and um, several years ago, I was named as an Apple Distinguished Educator, and I got to go to like some trainings and stuff. And I got to work with people that are using this technology in the classroom and all these inventive ways. And it's really incredible. And it's it's a neat thing to see. I've seen my kids use technology in ways that I think is helping them educationally. For I think sure. it's helping society. But man, at the same time, there's some there's some dark sides to it that I don't know how to fix it. And that's it, it, it's it's troublesome on a lot of different ways. Well, and maybe this <clears throat> the, the navigating these complexities is yeah got to be creating a lot of a lot of these other things we talked about, <laughs> yeah. like right the the anxi- the, the like oh, digital yeah. anxieties, digital uh, just the the overwhelming amount of like you said, like getting the getting that high from just like oh yeah i've noticed it too just like i need to put my phone down and then you know you're a couple seconds later you pick it back up have you ever got off the app and then go right immediately Uh, to the app and you're like i'm my i'm a i'm a goldfish (laughs) that's exactly yeah i'm the same way it's like what in the world are we doing crazy man yeah yeah and it will and too it's weird too like i get caught in making the justification what's well, for my business if, if you've mastered the sticky mm-hmm. the sticky cup or uh, <laughs> coaster um but you know it's all oh, i use it for my business oh, yeah. oh this like well you know it's a business this is a, it's a business expense <laughs> oh okay? yeah it's just tax deductible <laughs> i got you know i've gotten like 10 text messages for the business since we've been podcast and you make all these justifications oh, yeah. and that's and it's it's not going anywhere no so it's it's I, and that's why yeah. i think it's i think it is beneficial to have these conversations like i notice this with like the therapy it's like it gets things that i would normally like in my mind just like stoically sit on exactly out into the narrative of my life and then i notice myself because i talk I, because i opened up about them that i can talk about them with in my normal mm-hmm. exchanges with cora or just like with my friends of like 
yeah, I think I've been doing this or I think, oh, yeah. you know, I, I hadn't thought about this in a long time. And, and maybe this is something I got to, you know, get past. Absolutely. I got I to unpack this trauma and deal with it. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, just that like and that's a, a part of the culture of like uh, like somebody uh, said the other day, like man up. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, that's that's kind of toxic. That's exactly. Yeah. It's like that's in in my mind like that is like in the same vein of like you, you little bitch or, oh, yeah. or like calling somebody insane gay or whatever. Oh, exactly. And, and it's, it's just <clears throat> as toxic. Yeah, it's uh there's a guy that I work with, we call him diversity fouls. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, we're like oh, oh, diversity foul. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, you know, but at the same time it's one of those where these conversations are good too. Uh, for example, you know, when I was doing student success stuff, how in the world do I approach something where create, let's say, you know, create a program that's going to help something like, I don't know, African-American males as a middle aged white man, you know, you know, what have I experienced that that can that can talk about this? How can I do this? Well, talk to people that are African-American. Yeah. How do you do this? How do you how do I do? How do I approach this and have those conversations? People are more than willing to help you learn and people are more than willing to do it. And it was like that was one of those that I don't think we do enough of that, of just going to going and talking to people and just, you know, I think that having a, uh, something like this, uh, it would have to be good for you. Yeah. Well, and that's it, I will say this. I've consciously like with Dr. Claire. um mm-hmm. I'm doing this like with more like women having like uh, so tomorrow, Doctor oh, yeah. uh, Tosh uh, Nandivada. Oh yeah, she's an uh, experimental physicist. Oh yeah. So I'm just going to get my mind blown. I heard, she, I heard she's amazing. Oh, everybody, and, uh, all the yeah. students that I've talked to love her. Yep. And um, I'm I'm very excited about. It. But then when I have Aaron Claire. I've got a couple other. But just like I want to sit down with uh, like how stereotypical mm-hmm. is it for men not to talk to women? Oh, totally. But right? it is. So this it, gives me an outlet. But we fall into that. We fall into those those traps, and we fall into what's comfortable to us, you know. And it could be the opposite, you know. You if you were coming at this from a I don't know super PC kind of you know I'm going to have more women on the show, then you might have it where it's like it might be hard to talk about something like race, or it might be hard to talk to someone about I don't know you know uh, being uh, gay in sports or something like that. Those are cool conversations that you could have, but it's like we're going to fall into whatever's comfortable for us. Yeah. And it's like, and then what are we missing out on by not just going, Oh, let's, let's just, let's be aware of it. Let's talk. Let's bring these people into conversations and see what we can get from it. Well, it's so interesting too, like how, mm-hmm. like the guest I have on the podcast, like, well, I mean, Dr. Nandivada, for example, she was like, yeah, that sounds great. And then people get to thinking about it and they're like, what are we going to talk about? Yep. And it's like, like us, we've had no shortage of, of <laughs> material, you know? And I yeah. was like, well, I was like, well, I want to talk about physics. Yeah. I was like, I have these general, you know, I teach a chapter on the scientific revolution. I just did do and this and that. And I, I would like to talk about these things, um, uh, gravity and just how it's, how our views over yeah. are maybe changing again. Uh, and, and she was like, oh yeah, no problem. 
Well, oh, I yeah. can talk physics all day long, but she heard Dr. Huss and uh, Dr. Woods on here and was like, they did such a great job. <laughs> oh, but yeah. but they, how often do we like almost like suffer from like an imposter syndrome? Oh, in academia, I think almost everybody's going through that. And it's really funny. The, the number, uh, number of times I've talked to someone and go, man, I tried this and I thought of you. You thought of me? What? What? Because you do this so well. I do. You know, it's like it, it, I think we're a lot of us go through that where it's like, uh, you know, all these other people are That's smart. Back I don't to know the identity how, thing. I don't again. know how I'm here. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. I know I go through it all the time. And, and it's funny when I talk to students about it because all of them go, you're going through that. I thought I was just me. No, all of us. It's 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 really hard. I tell people this too. Like somebody said something about like their dream job, and I was like, I just told them I was like, yeah, I, and I suffer just as much as you do. Mm-hmm. Like it's like sometimes people think that because you do, oh yeah, what you like to do, or that that you are not having experiencing a similar set of conditions that they are. I mean, everybody's different. Everybody's experiences are different. Uh-huh. Perceptions, but. It's like, yeah, no, I, I, it's, I go through the same, like, oh man, work stressing me out, yeah. but I love what I do. Like I'm not exempt from going like torturing myself <laughs> about it just cause I love it. Yeah. So it's, and it's been, and honestly, that's to me a little bit more perplexing as if I like, I can't really speak. I've done things I didn't really enjoy doing before, but like that's more perplexing existentially like oh yeah i do all shit that i love to do just like almost exclusively and still struggle (laughs) right and see that's my thing i'm like i i've been really blessed to have a life that it's all it's all fun you know i mean especially as a faculty member especially i'm studying stuff that i think is fun i'm talking about stuff that's fun i enjoy being around students i enjoy learning from them i i'm it's there's nothing here i i do hate grading at all oh, i will take that yeah, so yeah. that's what they pay me for I th- all the other stuff just, i do at least for you free. guys have student workers man yeah. right man I, d- I can't do it i can't use student workers for i've for I, grading i could see i always yeah that. you know one only one professor would ever I, made me yeah grade and i, I would have i had them uh give one test this time and i'll just and it was because one of them i was going to be out of town um, one class was out of town and one of them I was doing, a, uh, uh, I had to do an online something. And so it was like one of those where I was like, okay, I'll do that. But I even, I even felt bad there. I just like, I just feel it's hard for me to use it because I know how much students are putting money out there mm-hmm. that I feel like I'm like, okay, they, I need to do this now. That's, that's me. Yeah. I don't, do you, do I don't do look do when I do exams and blackboard. Um, online classes. Yeah. Uh, in class, I try to, I try to keep it all in class if possible. And uh, I don't want them doing too much about outside class. I yeah. Know. It's, like, I've been, I've been doing more assessment and blackboard, but, um, I still do a fair amount of in class. I try yeah. to balance it out to kind of like encourage attendance, but they are being more encouraging of us integrating bite more oh, into, into the face to face class more, but uh, just, just cause they want us utilizing technology more. Yep. So it's, and it's one of those where, you know, our population of students, most of them work, most of them, you know, it's like most of them, you know, even if they're on campus, they, it, it, there's, there's a lot of travel. There's a lot of, home stuff you know they're not affluent students the majority of them anyway and all i I feel like i don't want to put too much on them Mm -hmm. it's like i want them to learn i want them to get a good experience but i feel like 
if I put too much, it could be obstacles instead of learning that's happening. And so I'm always trying to balance that out. And I always end up having conversations with them at the end of class of like, okay, what I do right, what I do wrong. And I'll be on just a teaching evaluation. A teaching evaluation to me is always just a, um, it's just a popularity contest if they like you or not and all but if you sit down and you go how would you do this what would you do in a class if you were to teach this what did i do wrong you usually get pretty honest answers and open it up for a conversation someone will bring up be like you didn't give us study guides and i hated it you know and then people yeah yeah and you're like okay this is that's a that's a true reflection probably i'm probably getting something there Mm -hmm. or if they go i can't think of anything okay that's cool okay i probably hit a lot of people on that i probably need to keep some of this it's the same here and all and then look at you know assessment other stuff to make sure i'm hitting my learning outcomes and and all but learning outcomes are important it is well it's it's, and i I do i have to follow them too i mean and i do yeah well it's one of those where it, it, it our our areas it could easily turn into this i could get up there and talk to them for a semester yeah, I don't know what we would learn, but we could talk about all kinds of stuff. We could talk about the psychology of conspiracy theories or something weird. And then they'd be like, so what do you learn? You know, I talk, we talked about Oswald for two weeks. You know, it's like, I, I don't know if that's <laughs> I don't know if that's good. And all, but it probably keep them more entertained than, you know, developmental psychology. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like it's it's interesting. I get to get it's interesting. I get right across the hall from uh, well, one of them just retired, but two two psych professors. Uh-huh. Um and it's it's interesting being getting to interact with other colleagues that work yeah. in other disciplines on a regular daily basis, just being able to walk across the hall and what do you think about this? Or oh yeah, you got a book I could look into on that? Or that's been the best thing about being on a campus is to have the mutual respect of other people that are brilliant and just to be able to go over and go, hey, I was thinking about this. How would you do this? Or I heard you did this. Tell me how you did it. Or can I see your syllabus or whatever? And, you know, usually it's like, here, take it, steal it, do whatever you want. And and, all. and you have you just have endless amount of resources. It's nice. It's amazing. It, it's, it is. It really it's, is. It's, the, it's, it's almost like being a student. Like, that's, oh, yeah. I miss, I still miss being a student for along these same lines of reasons of like, it's you're in yep. that learning environment. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that you're given the test now. Yeah. But you're you're in that environment. You're immersed into learning. Yeah. And it's one of those where at the same time, I, to me, I think teaching is one of those things you will you can be great at. You can be uh, uh, just absolutely brilliant. And I think we've all, both had people like that. But I don't think you can ever perfect it. And so you're always learning. And so you always got to be approaching it from a uh, that eye of what can I do better and all what can I how did I change this what can I do that didn't work what did I you know and you and you can have that self-reflective piece that makes you that permanent student that's just to me I, I love like, that yeah I lo- actually look forward to tweaks yeah like, I'm gonna do this different next time oh yeah and I was like you know three quarters of the way of my class this time and I was like there were things I was like why did I do it this way I need to do it but hmm you know and you're i'm like that's a good thing to have and i've found that you know just a lot of it being super honest with students and talking to them about that and telling them that you know they're, they're gonna have a voice in how the next people uh are gonna um, experience this 
just like they idea. had an experience for uh, and how they changed it for you um it, it it makes it i think it gives them a little bit of empowerment um i should integrate because i do a pre and post test uh-huh. like of just general knowledge of like what do you know about uh arkansas before you took the class like what's our population what's our state you oh, know that's like, good yeah but, but it, it allows me to do some stats and stuff but that's that's interesting to do like almost like your own little ask, uh eval yeah and ask them kind of what are the three things you br- you're going to take away from this uh, class how are you going to use this in the future you'll be shocked at some of the answers and all mine um like i said um several people talked about therapy and i was shocked by that because it was one lecture it was one lecture i didn't think it would hit that many people the number of people that were like you know i know how to do this okay that's cool um but then other things talking about conformity talking about different things that i was like this was not a big part of the class and they're walking out with this that's impressionable yeah that's cool that's good data too oh yeah yeah and it's one of those two where you're like okay i probably need to keep that hmm. uh, you know i want because like the therapy thing i was thinking i didn't i wasn't happy with it i was like i need to do more with this well the number of people that we're talking about i'm like maybe i gave enough maybe i did a good job you know it's like you're just you're always gonna learn from stuff like that yeah i'm gonna i'm definitely gonna integrate like a post because I do that little, yeah, that's a great you know, idea. Like I said, the student evals, it's going to be students that were angry, students that love you. And you're going to have those two. And so you're going to have either those hateful comments of, this was horrible, so unfair. No, I can't learn this way. Exactly. Yeah. Or the ones that are like, wonderful, give this guy a raise. And you're like, what do you what do you do with either of those? When you talk about it in terms of topics, how would you do this? How would whatever? And take away that anonymity where it's like all of a sudden you're going to get just, you know, people just flaming you know throwing pitchforks at you then you get to you could kind of see something and you know i'm sure it's going to be you know some people that were angry or didn't like this or that that might not make it as uh you know heartfelt as they do on an evaluation just give you something i think that just yeah. yeah you can ask those questions in a lot better ways than a teaching eval yeah for real and we, we complain uh like there's complaints about the evals all the time oh yeah in my neck of the woods so. well and then also Studies have shown, I mean, now you and I, we don't have to think about it, but it's uh, as much. It's like, but it seems like women do uh, worse on evaluations. They're, they're given worse evaluations. People that are um, uh, foreign nationals get, you know, mm. I can't understand and I can't do this. Man, and, yeah. and so you look at like the data out there on evaluations. It, 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 favor, it favors us old white men uh, uh, quite a bit. And so the, it's oh, one wow. of those, when you look at it that way, you're like, okay, there's already a huge bias here. Let's, let's dig. Let's, let's, let's get more of a conversation going. And from there, I think that's. I want, I've talked to Corey about this. I want to put a comments box at the gym. Corey's like, no. And I'm just like, <laughs> well, you know, give us like, we would know some things, yeah. but it's, you know. It's, it's hard. It really is. And it's one of those where, it, it depends how, how, where you're coming from with it. Um, if you're, you know, you guys are so tied to the gym. If you if you think you can look at it, it'd be reflective. Yeah, it'd be awesome. You, but there we might, could make some improvements. But there might sure. be the risk of, you know, you've put, you know, like I said, you guys start you started off in a back of a gym driving all over the state to learn stuff like you've put literally blood sweat and tears into this you know all a lot of all of that and then for someone to be like you, you don't have any coca-cola in the, you in the fridge much, yes. you, you'd want to strangle them and so it's like if you can separate it you don't want to just absolutely That's what kill the person about. 
it's good. And there's probably going to be those times when you're teaching too, where it is not the right time in your life to look at those comments. And so for that, it might be one of those times where you go, I'm going to look at this when I'm in a better place. Yeah. You know, next semester, I'm, it would be a lot easier or after Christmas break or uh, after a good night's sleep or whatever it is. If you've got to be at that right point. And so sometimes I'm like, I don't know if it's good to have that out there. Yeah. I, I don't know. And you know, you know, you made my kid run today. How dare you? It's like this part of us <laughs> being healthy. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, you're going to have those things. And I don't know if, so it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. To me, that is the hardest thing. I hate getting, I hate getting critiqued. It is difficult. It, cause it's, it, and, it shakes you, you oh, know, yeah. to the core usually. Oh, totally. And so it's like you got to be in that good spot and you got to be where you want to hear it. And it, and then once you put it out there, you can't take it back. Like, I'm ripping the comments box off. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's brutal. I saw one in St. Mary's today and I was thinking about it again. Like I was just like, well, they have one. But it's, you know, people, some different gyms. I, it's not. It's an idea I got from somebody. Else, no, but. No, it would be. It's one of those where I think assessment's always good, but you got to. It's like, what is the, What are you going to be getting from it? Because a lot of it, some of the stuff you're doing is wonderful, and you probably need to hear that. Yeah. Because you're probably thinking, man, having this class three times a day, am I doing this right? Am I scheduling this right? If you hear from a bunch of people, are going, man, this is awesome. This is life changing. Cool. All right, you could keep up this that schedule. And we've we've tried but, to poll the members a lot yeah. on things, and I, it's you know, and I don't think systemically <laughs> we have a bunch of flaws, but no. uh, it's we we do want to do better. That's like the the whole thing behind the move is oh yeah, to just do better, to offer a better service, to have more standing room, more parking, uh, less li- liability in the parking lot. Oh and yeah, so on. But uh, speaking of assessment, I think I Uh-oh. gotta go do te- yeah, well in. Very soon, the testing is today. Oh, very good. And the amount of kids we have testing, man. <laughs> I so, don't know how you do it. Sitting in there on some of those testing days is just... Well, I hope... Well, and these are the things feedback would be yeah. great about. But um, on the, the kids' testings now, like Cora is doing, uh, we do them during class time. So it's like 5 to 7, oh, okay. so testing at 4, then white belts at 4.45, then yellow and orange belts at 5.30. Oh, that's That way good. you don't... Yeah, man, just the, hey, you know, little Johnny's done, but they're going to sit for an hour and a half. And I've seen that with yeah, Ian sometimes yeah. where you're like, okay, how long is this going to be? Well, it's hard. It and, you know, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know how you schedule it. Well, we're with the jujitsu. We're about to start ranking like we're t- we're trying to make a big push and move to ranking in class for jujitsu. Oh, that'd without be great. Doing an event, without charging for it or anything. Oh, that's uh, great. That's what we're wanting to do. The, uh, just like Ian, dude, you've been doing great. I'm putting two tips on your belt right now, dude. Oh, that'd right be here in awesome. front of everybody, not at the same time as everybody. Well, that's kind of you know for a lot of. I mean, that's for adult classes. It's basically like that. Yeah, and that's that's what yeah. we're, we're wanting that's to do cool. is, is individualize it more and 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 be able to highlight the student more in front of their classmates, yeah. it, it, away from their classmates. Instead of like, hey, Ian, you and these three other gray belts got tips today yeah. or or whatever but car yep. belt you know so anyway man that's cool yeah so but uh man thank you so much man for, this is for fun podcasting i um 
I've got everything uploaded. I will edit this one today and probably get it up. Okay, that'd be good. So I've got I've got a couple of good ones. Others uh, scheduled tomorrow and Monday. So oh man, I'm looking forward to it. This is this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Well, man, maybe when we get uh, moved into the new studio space, the new gym, we can do it again. Oh, absolutely. We got to do a boxing watch along too. That would be great. Like we need to do that. Even if it's if you have like a classic fight or something you want to watch or. Um, like all of Mike Tyson's knockouts or anything oh, yeah. like that. Like I'm down to oh, do be any fun. of that. If it's like, Hey, there was a fight Saturday. We can order the pay-per-view Sunday or something yeah. and watch it. Oh, so, that'd be fun, man. Yeah, I would Let's love do to it. Do All right, man. All right. Sign Thank off. you. Thanks. All right. <laughs>